Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Worm, a Daily Planet Films podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss the hit web serial Worm week by week, arc by arc. My name is Matt Freeman, your host and emotional wreck. Here's my co-host, Scott Daly. Scott, how are you doing today? I honestly don't know, Matt. <laughs> I'm like <laughs> a ball of emotion ping-ponging off every single wall in my house. This was um, another arc that was difficult to read. Here we mm-hmm. go again. Yeah, good one though. Yeah. And as you say, this is the podcast where you, a worm expert, guide me, a first-time reader through Wild Bo's work of superheroes, supervillains, and everything in between, as I inspect, interpret, and even speculate on what the story is and where it is going. This week, we are covering Arc 20, Chrysalis, and thank God, Matt, we get to cover this one all in one episode. Yeah, I think this certainly qualifies as an unusual arc. Uh, it's definitely shorter than a lot of the ones that have preceded it. And um, it, uh, there, there was some interesting discussion about whether this is the capstone for the previous quote-unquote book of Worm or whether this is the beginning of the next book of Worm. I, I think you and I feel like it's a good beginning for the next, you know, for, for what's coming forward. Um, yeah, it feels like, I mean... It, it, the weird thing is it's it's wrapping up a lot of like the entirety of worm long plot threads like there's stuff from the very first arc that we're wrapping up here or at least tying off temporarily um so i think that's why it feels a little culminate yeah um but but there is very much a feeling in my opinion of this is setting the stage for everything that's going to come we're moving we're moving past the events of the previous book and moving into something new and something different and something very, uh, very exciting. Yeah. I, I guess my feeling is if this were the last chapter of a paper book, I would feel like, Oh, you know, you can't leave me hanging like this. Whereas right. it, it, I think it works as, as the first chapter of a paper book. Um, very, yeah. very, very well. Yeah. And, and especially considering that, you know, I think, I think this is my favorite arc so far. I, I, I thought about it for a while. I've been going through it and and it's one of those things where this usually happens to me but the more i think about something i like the more i like it so you go through and you read it the first time and you're like wow that was really good and then you start for our prep and you start diving into the details of how this work and what it's doing and how it's doing it and you're like wow this is incredible um and and i know we've been really hyperbolic before in the past about some of these arcs but this is this is my new favorite matt yeah, this is one that I've been waiting for us to get to for for a long time, and I actually went out of my way not to not to tell you that. Um, I, I think like with with, <laughs> w- with the Travelers arc, I, I think I tipped my hand. I was like, by the way, I'm like really excited about this, um, and I, and this time I was like, I don't want to do that this time. I don't want to give you any indication that I'm really excited about this one and that this one's you know really emotional. I just want to let you experience it because um, I I don't know. I just feel like that's more more organic yeah yeah well i appreciate that um i because i you know we made some predictions at the end of arc 19 we made some predictions at the end of the mailbag where what would this go was going to be where it was going to go and i was kind of right uh, high levelly with some of the stuff but the, the turns that the story takes in this arc um were, were mostly revelatory to me and mm-hmm. and landed very very well and I'm yeah. really, I'm really excited to talk about them. I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation more than I have many of the others. Yeah, which is, me which too. is crazy. Yeah, I know, I know. Especially considering there's no like 
you know, kaiju battles in this arc. There's it's, like no fighting at all. Like yeah. maybe a little tiny bit. Yeah. Right. It's like I said, it's unusual in structure. It's not yeah. this typical, like build up, build up, fight a big bad, you know, resolution. It's, it's, there's, like you said, it's, it's not combat oriented. Yeah. Um, okay, Scott. Um, so in terms of announcements, I guess we should announce that, uh, at the end of September, the schedule is going to be a bit wonky. Uh, we won't be doing any comments or questions regarding arc 20, uh, because arc 21 will be recorded before arc 20 episode is even released. Um, so that's it's uh we're, we're recording things way before you're hearing them yet again yeah yeah so just this be is ready my for fault that. my fault once again um i'm going to film festival in, uh, starting the 20th of september i'll be back the 29th and uh then you leave i think so it's going to be the the end of september beginning of october is going to be a little weird for us i think we're going to hit all of our episode uh dates where each wednesday we'll get a new episode that's not going to change at all but the all the other stuff we do around those episodes are going to be a, a bit weird for a while so yep, sorry about right. that but yeah S- speaking of which uh, as for comments and questions this week uh, we we did just do the mailbag um from our point of view was was very recently <laughs> yesterday <laughs> yeah yesterday so so there hasn't been a lot of time for us to gather any any new comments or questions so uh you know we're just gonna move on to the beat by beat this week yeah let's do it which is good because we have a, a lot to cover yeah all right, so we we open up this chapter, uh, and Taylor is getting out of the shower at her dad's house and using her bugs to help her groom herself while attending to the surrounding area with her power. She's aware of all the bustle for a thousand feet around her, and she's also thinking about her territory, her hive, which is too far away to watch. Yeah, that's the first time she's called it that, hasn't she? Mm-hmm, I think so. Yeah, yeah I, I really like how this section starts. I really like that we, we open on Taylor doing this very rudimentary human thing she's just taking a shower she's getting ready in the morning and and we start it in a very rudimentary human way just taylor doing these things and then suddenly as if like out of nowhere the bugs interject themselves into the scene suddenly uh, she's picking up a toothbrush that's being held up by bugs by string and and toothpaste and her hairbrush and and it's like we're seeing her bugs we're seeing her power we're seeing skid her invade the scene and invade her life and and this arc is about the death of taylor taylor the person not that taylor the the idea not not the little literal person the secret identity like we've talked about how she's kind of abandoned this identity before but we start this chapter off with her trying to get some of it back but this is formally and officially the death of that taylor identity and we start the chapter off by showing these rudimentary things like brushing your teeth but even in this the skitter identity is now pervasive. It's now part of all of it. Yeah, I can imagine this cinematically, like as the intro of a of a TV episode. Like you, you show Taylor getting out of the out of the shower, like from the from the shoulders up. She, you know, everything is normal, and then she kind of reaches her hand out, and you know, a giant mass of bugs hands her 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 comb or whatever, and and you, yeah. you you kind of introduce the like you said, introduce the bugs in this intrusive way, and it almost foreshadows what's uh, what's coming. And it's like. It just strikes me as so it's like an unnecessary use of them. Like it's picking up a toothbrush and a comb. It's like, it, yes, it's more efficient. Obviously, everything she does with her powers is more efficient, but it's just unnecessary. Like you don't have to do that. And yet she's doing it now because it just becomes so much a part of her life. Yeah, right. So she heads downstairs to make breakfast. 
And here, as she's kind of going through her morning, you can't help but notice how overwhelmingly organized she is. Like she's, I'm going to cook some crepes, going to eat them, going to go running. Then I'm going to pretend to go to school while I manage my empire. <laughs> it, it's just, it's kind of intimidatingly organized. Yeah. And, and as all this is going on, she's in her head, you know, doing all her book stuff still. Like she's, she's kind of only halfway there. She's kind of only slightly present. She's everywhere. She's not yeah. one identity anymore. Yeah. And the thing I really liked, we didn't even write this down, but what she's wearing here, she's wearing a sleeveless top, um, a, a strapless top. I yeah, think. strapless top. Yeah. It's totally exposing her shoulders. Yeah. And, and like cargo pants, basically. Yeah. And it's just like how far we've come from the tailor that wore big, uh, bulky, dark colored clothing to not draw attention to her or her shape in any way. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I, I didn't pick that out, but yeah, you're right. It's, we are hitting a lot of beats in this first chapter where we're seeing how much she's grown and how different Taylor, the, the individual is. And they even talk about it specifically. Yeah. And, and things coming full circle is one of the big themes of this arc. We're going to hit that a lot. Um, it, every aspect of her life, every interaction that she's had at the beginning of the story seems to be coming around on itself again, but with a slight twist or change that usually revolves around how different of a person Taylor is now. Yep. Yeah, so Danny, um, Danny shows up. Her dad. Uh, she she notices that he's still suffering from his injuries, and that he looks old. Uh, but she goes ahead um, and and informs him that she's decided that she doesn't think she'll be going back to school. She'll be working instead. And uh, he asks if she would go if he asked her to hypothetically. Um, and it's easy to skip over because in their in their back and forth here she promises that she'll graduate she's she she says i promise i'll graduate i'm just gonna i'm just gonna take a year off and it's like wow you i mean do you not realize you're lying taylor because like why would things be easier like why would your supervillain life be easier in a year and, and that would allow you to go back to school yeah it's this it's this beat about taylor's idea that she can return to being taylor that she can live this double life again yeah. you know she she had she tried it for a while then she abandoned it and now as things settle as her hold on the city tightens she thinks that she has this ability to do both of these things and it's just completely impractical you're absolutely right there's there's no difference i mean maybe there'd be a little more established but do we really think at any moment that that taylor would allow herself to go through school while uh dealing with like the pressure and the guilt that she places on herself when she's not helping out the people of her area like it's just that's never that's never going to happen yeah this is her fantasy basically yeah um yeah so there's a uh, there's this moment where where uh she says uh like you said i'm a different person than i was um and and then danny he looked up at me met my eyes and i could feel my blood run cold that searching studying look he knows we talk about setup in these first chapters a lot and and that's because matt the first chapters have a lot of setup in them yeah. <laughs> and this is another example of that we we th one of the big central things of this entire arc is taylor's identity and and taylor's secret identity and and dis the discovering of that and what it means and now we have this moment where taylor thinks that her father might know who she is and that how that terrifies her she her blood runs cold mm -hmm. um do, do you think he 
on some level suspects here i i don't actually i don't know what do you think yeah i thought about this a lot and i i I mean taylor reads into expressions so much like like i mean there's literally a thousand different things that danny could be thinking when when she claims i'm a different person than i was like he he could be ruminating on the person that she was ruminating on what she must have gone through, what happened to her. There's a thousand different things that he could be thinking. That's just what's on her mind in the moment. Cause that's one of her greatest fears is her, is him discovering this stuff. So I think yeah. you're right. I don't, I don't think there's enough there to say, yeah, he knew or he suspected or he thought or yeah. anything like that. I just kind of feel like either you, either you would get it or you wouldn't. Cause like the moment it popped into Greg's head, for example, he was like, yeah, I mean, she has yeah. the same hair she has the same like body proportions like w- once you once you know who someone is and you like see them in a costume then you're like yeah i know who that is um, yeah and and i think that ties into like my lisa prediction from a couple weeks ago that once i got over that main hurdle then every other little piece of information clicks into place yeah yeah right so yeah he laments the fact that she seemingly went from a relatively obedient daughter to completely leaving the house forever in the course of one conversation and that he doesn't have a say in her life anymore. She objects that he does, or rather that she'll let him have a say, which she seems to find pretty sad. Yeah, that's because that's because Matt, it is really sad. <laughs> um, I'll let you have a say. That's not actually giving someone power. That's not uh, letting Danny be a parent. That's that's pity. Yeah. You only you only have this place in my life because I let you. And I think Danny's response here is perfect because he basically, you know, slowly takes her hand, kisses her fingers and says, I hope that if you if and when you ever have a child of your own, you never have to hear them say anything like that. And then he releases her hand. And that's, I think, as far as as far as we see, like, that's one of the last interactions they will ever have, um, at least thus far in the story. And it's so it's so perfect because like you really feel for him in this moment. I think we're going to talk about Danny again as we get to the end. Um, when we, when we see from his point of view in that interlude, but you know, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot going on with this character and he's so complicated and the things he's having to go through and the things he's dealing with and how lost and unsure of what the right thing to do is. You really, you really feel for him in this moment. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think we'll talk about this more later, but I'm feeling very sympathetic to Danny in this uh, in this arc. Mm-hmm. So she tells him that she'll be working at the boardwalk, and he remarks that this is a little too involved with the supervillain in charge, uh, to which she responds by eating her last bite of crepe. <laughs> yeah, Taylor, stop hanging out with that skitter. Per- oh. Right. <laughs> yeah, th- I think this is a, a, another hint that Danny doesn't, doesn't actually suspect or anything. Yeah, um, right. I think so. So he asks if she'll be free for lunch and she's sort of like, oh, that's going to put a big crimp in my schedule, but she kind of weighs all the pros and cons and she decides that she, uh, she can make it work. Um, and in the course of this, she, uh, she tells him her cell phone number and, and he's like, oh, your, your cell phone. And, and then, and then he looks sad for a brief moment, then perked up a little. Yeah. And I think this does something really cool here i mean what this does on the surface level is is remind the reader about danny's hatred of cell phones and and how that links to taylor's mother's death and and the the conflict between them about cell phones that's gone on for much of their interactions in this book and this got me thinking about a thing wild does that i really appreciate you know matt in tv shows where 
Um, they have the previously on section. Yeah. And, and it's always like, those are always edited sharply to remind you of stuff you're going to need to know for the episode. Right. So it's like almost telegraphing, like this is what this episode's going to be about. Right. And that always really annoyed me because it's just so transparent and it's so, it's such a lazy way of doing it. Yeah. And it, sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, it can, it can get pretty bad where they're basically just like, here's the setup that's going to be paid off this episode. And you're like, right. Oh, thanks. I, I now know exactly what's going to happen. Right. Especially when it's from like seasons ago, it's like, yeah. here's this interaction that happened in season two, yeah. uh, three years ago. You remember that? Right. Yeah. And, and what Wildbo does here is, is, I mean, he, he like, there, there's a reason you have to do that because your readers forget sometimes. And if you want things to pay off, you need to remind them of it. But, there are ways to do it subtly and cleverly. And I think that's what we're doing here in, in this interaction with Danny that we see, we remind our readers, remember that Taylor and Danny have this cell phone thing. They have this, this thing between them because that's how Taylor's mother died. And this is all important information that's going to pay off in a spectacularly terrible way near the end of this chapter. But I just love how it's done without really drawing attention to it. Like it's not exposition. It's not just, telling the audience that you need to know stuff it's it's a it's a natural character interaction that serves that purpose yeah and to remind everyone the second beat in the three beat is is the basically reminding you that this exists beat um yeah, right. so that it sticks out in your head as being something other than just like one thing that happened in the course of the movie exactly yeah yeah so yeah you can uh you can tell that Taylor is from the Northeast because when she goes outside, she complains to herself about the 85 degree heat. <laughs> oh no. 85 degrees. Yeah. That's like 85 <laughs> degree. Cool is, is how, yeah. how we would say it's, it. It's yeah. September in Dallas and that was the low today. So, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, now we get our first glimpse of this pretty cool phone code as she, as she looks over her text messages. Uh, this, so basically her and her minions communicate using this, this shorthand, where everything reads like mundane chatter, but everything is actually code. Like Eric means trouble. Little brother refers to the kids in her territory. Um, the letters, the, the letter U and the word U refer to uh, Skitter and, and Taylor. Um, I forget which is which, but they, it's basically just a way of, a way of dealing with their, all their business without being obvious about it. Yeah. And this is a very uh, advanced form of communication and it's advanced past the original undersiders code where the 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 color and the name thing um i think that serves as a way to kind of show how this team has grown up how these people are have moved beyond this basic level uh gangstering and yeah. are now like fully like almost running a empire a business and they have the like it's it's there it's 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 great it's great it's really great yeah yeah it's really significant difference actually because they when they started out, I was thinking, like, is it even appropriate to call them a gang? Because, like, you think of gangs as being, like, larger groups that, that have a that have an identity and they have initiations and stuff. The Undersiders yeah. were more like just a supervillain team. And, and yeah, they were referred to as a gang sometimes, but they were really just like a small mercenary team. Now I think they're, they're more like a really, hot, like, large-scale actual gang in terms yeah, of like they're like the mafia basically yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah so taylor thinks about the portal and we learn that out-of-town heroes are now being stationed in brockton bay to bolster the ranks um some villains from the fallen and i guess heroes from haven are also <laughs> in town uh, and we learn a bit about the the fallen cape valifor uh i think that's how you say that didn't actually look it up 
uh, who's a stranger class cape like imp um i've and, always said veil for um which yeah, might be it. wrong I, I don't know i don't know so hope, thankfully we only have to say his name like 40 times in this episode <laughs> um so yeah the ambassadors are also looking for a foothold in brockton bay um and of course we remember those as being coil uh not coil i always want to say coil instead of a cord i don't know why because they're so close to being like each other kind That's of true yeah i mean they're uh, buddies yeah they are buddies it's it's a cords team um that they're looking for a foothold in brockton bay and grew and skitter are willing to consider their offer Another villain group called the Teeth is in Parian's territory, and she's apparently not asking for help. Overall, this little section where we learn about all the movements of cape groups into the city gives the impression that some time has passed. Yeah, and it's setting up all our pieces. It's it's showing us what the situation is now. And I think to me, what this does to me is kind of show like how precarious the Undersiders' hold of the city is getting. Like... It, Brockton Bay was trashed and like everyone had left it and that the undersiders were really the only group operating there. And now the city's coming back. Now the portals here, the city's recovering. The city has a reason to exist. And, and as the city grows back to its former glory and maybe surpasses it, uh, other people are going to come. And suddenly this, this ability to hold territory that they had becomes more and more complicated. And, um, it's, it seems in this moment that conflict is almost inevitable. Yeah. Speaking of the recovery, I think one of the things that, that most clearly indicates that the city's recovering is that they're moving protectorate capes back in when all the protectorate, yeah. all the wards were complaining about how, you know, they're, they're just not, we're losing people and they're not refilling the spots. And I think they're just giving up. And now it's clear that they're not. And, and that there's a, there's a point much later where, where the reporter rattles off a list of, of protectorate cape names and we don't recognize a lot of them. So it suggests just yeah. how many people have come back. Well, and th- I mean, that just goes to show you that, that this thing that Lisa did that saved the city might have doomed their control over it because mm-hmm. um, suddenly things are a lot a lot harder to do. And, and yes, they've got a good foothold on everything, but it's so it's all up to these kids and it's just yeah. it's just out of it, trouble. There's yeah. trouble brewing. Yeah. So, yeah, Skitter uh, comes she she's gone to her her lair and she comes downstairs from from dressing in her costume and she finds that Charlotte has brought a new prospective employee into into the lair without properly vetting her and she's kind of uh, irritated about that. Oh, uh, we sure. also learn here that um Forrest is the dude that's helping out in her lair and he's the same guy who helped smash Mannequin's head. Thanks, Forrest. Thanks. That was a Forrest Gump joke, except I messed up the timing. I'm going to delete this. <laughs> no, you can't. Yeah, I'm not going to do it. No, uh, yeah. I mean, I like this guy a lot. Um, I liked him when he stepped in to help with Mannequin, and, and I'm glad to see he's making himself useful. Yeah. Um, here, the there's uh, Charlotte's telling her about how people are complaining about, like, garbage stink and various other things. And she says, uh, uh, Skitter says, I'll resolve it. And then she thinks to herself, it wasn't so long ago this whole city stank, and people weren't complaining this much then. And uh, yeah, this is this kind of harkens back to what we were talking about before. I know it was just a couple days ago how how maintaining order and control as the city returns to itself uh, is hard to do um, because when people are desperate, they will turn to you if you are providing them with things they need. But as that desperation goes down, their happiness with your lead, your rule uh, goes down as well. Right. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's kind of like the, what the Roman emperors always had to deal with. Yep. Throw, throw those circuses, Taylor. <laughs> uh, 
After this pleasant interlude of dealing with these minor domestic issues, Skitter heads to deal with the trouble she, that she heard about before on the text messages. Uh, the O'Dalys, Scott, are now working as her enforcers, apparently. Yes, the O'Daly clan is well known for their resourcefulness and ability to follow orders. Also, we're tall and big. Yeah. Well, so, there you go. It's good. I'm, I'm glad glad you're helping. Thanks for writing me into the book, Wildbo. <laughs> <laughs> Four years in the past. Yeah, and then I'm sure that's what it is. Yeah, precog right there. There you go. So there's a, a Japanese Christian couple who was victimized by these captured thugs uh, that are in the, kind of the uh, the uh, skitter territory stockades. And the Japanese uh, couple ask for leniency uh, against against these crooks. Skitter argues that it would really be much better for her if she could torture and terrorize them the way she planned to. <laughs> um, and I really like this exchange where uh, Skitter's saying, and if they go free, if the police decide there's not enough evidence or the officers are too busy to give your case their full attention and these three get uh, get to go on and hurt others. And then the 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 man responds, if that's the cost of having a system that, that otherwise works. I love you, random Japanese Christian man. Um, I, I do love this opinion, though. I, I really do. And I think this is meant to to rather succinctly challenge uh, Taylor's view on how to rule and the idea that 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 some like no system is perfect. Sometimes the system will fail you. That is going to happen, and, and we can try to have conversations and make changes to make sure that that failure doesn't happen again. But just because that does happen, it doesn't mean you abandon the system for one that that not only results in but almost requires cruel and unusual punishment. Yeah, which uh, which is what we're gonna we're gonna see here. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think I think this is a great moment because it just shows like this is how a normal person reacts when like mafia justice is offered to them you're just like yeah. no no thank you um i don't want to be involved with this at all actually yeah can um, you just bring them to the authorities yeah right i am the authority yeah ex- yeah <laughs> she she says completely you know without realizing the irony of the, <laughs> the situation irony of that, yeah. yeah so she tells the thugs to go turn themselves into the police and then she lets them go and of course they head the wrong direction trying to escape uh, which of course she senses, so she has her new bullet ants bite them, uh, which obviously causes them to collapse in pain. And then she catches up with them, and she clarifies her instructions. Um, and after she has unnecessarily bitten them with these excruciatingly painful bullet ants several more times, uh, the the Christian man it says uh, he's he was still staring at me, his question lingering. I asked you to be lenient. I was, was all I said. Hey, Matt, Uh (laughs) let's talk about this for a little bit. Okay. I'm going to go hard on this. Yeah. This is literal torture. This is wrong. This is, this is unequivocally, absolutely 100% wrong. This is not how a person should behave. And I almost think that I'm not just the one saying this. I think the story is saying this and I, I, I don't think we're supposed to be supporting Taylor's decision here. I don't think I don't think so. She can't even be bothered to argue why she's right here. She says, I could explain to him how blah 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 blah, but I don't have time for that. Yeah. It's like, Taylor, you right, are torturing people. Yeah, I'm just gonna give a badass one liner and, and walk away because yeah. Right. I mean it, it like to me, you can actually draw a parallel to like brut- like police brutality and um like you could argue, you could loosely argue that maybe a bullet ant bite is similar to like a taser 
uh, strike, although I think a bullet ant is probably much worse. Yeah. Um, and then this is like giving someone several consecutive tailor, uh, um, taser strikes once they're already on the ground, which is just clearly unacceptable use of force from law enforcement, which is kind of what she's trying to be. Yeah. So, so she's really just trying to like t- terrorize. That's exactly what she's doing. She's trying to, yeah. to amp up this reputation of, of being someone you just yeah. don't cross. And it has nothing to do with the people that were hurt. It has nothing to do with the people that did the hurting. It is all about projecting an image of herself. It's all about her. Yeah. That's what this decision is made for. And look, you can't like these men were in captivity. They were captured. It's not, it's not like they, she was trying to capture them and they fought back and then she had to fight them to bring them down. They were in a jail cell. She let them out and then basically laid a trap for them because she knew what they were going to do. Like yeah. there, there are a thousand other things Skitter could have done to take these guys to the authorities. I mean, she could have surrounded them in a mass of bugs that like pushed them in the right direction without stinging them with unknown bullet ants. This was a, a, to make a point. This was not only to make a point to everyone else in the city, but this was almost to make a point to this guy because this guy said, no, you should be lenient. Your system isn't the right one. Go to the cops, go to the authority. And she's like, I'm going to make a point to you by showing that these people would just run away. And the only way to teach them is to torture them. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because she says, she says I was being lenient and it's like, do you really yeah, think what does that mean? you were yeah. being lenient? Like what, like, did you, were you going to kill him, Taylor? <laughs> I don't, right. Right. I, I'm not sure where. I'm not sure if she was just trying to be intimidating there or if she really thought that that was a lenient response. Um, I think, yeah, I think she thinks it's, I think she's definitely trying to be intimidating, but I do think that she thinks it was a fair and justified response. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting, especially in context of how we see her behaving at the end of this arc. Yep. But we'll talk about that when we get there. So yeah, she, she now, uh, she knows that she kind of is going to have to get ready to see her dad in the relatively near future. So she changes back into her tailor clothes and then she gets a text from Charlotte. Big trouble at school. Somebody looking for Taylor and maybe looking for Skitter too. <sighs> Fucking Greg. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, we're, we're going to talk about this when I, when we get to him, but I, I just want to remember that this is a very conscious decision that Taylor makes to go to school. Yeah. Um, and she makes that decision and she makes it knowingly. So let's keep that in mind as we go through everything that happens. Yeah, we're going to hit that hit that beat. So 20.2, Taylor realizes that all of her more actually helpful allies are, are tied up at the moment, so she'll have to go on her own. We also learn that the high school has a Faraday cage around it, which is both a realistic detail and also comes into play later. So anyway, uh, it's clear that she's going to have to deal with this by herself. Matt, can I just say before we move on how excited I was for this moment? Of course. <laughs> because we know Greg is there, who knows who she is. We know Emma is there, mm-hmm. uh, who we just learned all about and how excited she is to be in this position of power back at a school. Um, what I thought was going to go down in the school and what actually goes down are, are very different, but I was still glued to my screen this entire time. Like, this is so, like, this is such, so wonderfully set up and you're just ready for the shoot a drop and things to go nuts and and they do in a different way but uh, it's yeah i was so excited there's moment. just so much tension like yeah in, in, along so many different vectors and we're gonna get to all that in 20.5 how so many you know 
long awaited explosions go off at the yeah. same time. Um, but the, like you're just, you're becoming more and more aware of the tension as, as she's, as she's brushing up against these, these situations that you're really anxious about. Yeah. Yeah. So she, uh, she lets her hair down a bit as she rides a, the, a city bus to school. And this is, this is actually an interesting moment. This is a very, very rare moment of Taylor just taking a breather. Um, but as she approaches yeah. the school, she thinks to herself, um, her usual, her usual litany of, uh, I've faced down a handful of the scariest sons of bitches in the world. I've been intentionally trapped in a burning house, blinded, had my back broken. I've been paralyzed and at the mercy of no less than two lunatic tinkers. And I've killed a man, I thought. And going back to school stirs up old feelings of anxiety. And, and I, I like this because, um, this is just completely realistic because your, your brain doesn't really know that you're like an adult or, or whatever, or, or like, like a different person, a more mature and capable person than you were the last time you were in this situation. It just recognizes the place or the context of the trauma that it experienced. And it triggers that fear reaction because your brain doesn't know any better. Yeah, it, it is. It, it's a, it's great. And it's a perfect way of showing that exactly that, that for all her growth, for all this newfound strength in her, Taylor's trauma still rules a huge part of her life that she can stick that away in that compartment all she wants, but it's still there just hanging out, uh, waiting, waiting to go back to school. Yeah. Yeah. She hasn't, she hasn't solved that at all. In fact, you could argue she's been driven by it this whole time. Yeah. So as she approaches the school, she subconsciously identifies two distinct groups of students. Some are pretty much typical high school students, but the other group are clearly the, clearly those who stayed in the city during the recent endless series of disasters. Yeah, this is a really great beat that's going to pay off fantastic later, but at least at the moment, it it represents perfectly this kind of large-scale representation of the differences between Taylor and Emma with a group of Taylors and Emmas, yeah. and and the con- how the, they naturally segregate and how that conflict is going to boil over. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting way of framing it. I like that. So she has to give up her knife to the enforcer at the gate, and then she heads in. We're obliquely reminded that uh, this isn't actually her high school. Um, she went to a different high school. This is the high school where she crashed the party that Jack and Panacea were having. <laughs> yeah. um, and at the time, it was a rusted, destroyed, red-tinged horror movie set. Um, yeah. So and, and then so as she's heading in, she sees these uh, know-where-you-are uh, fact sheets that we've actually seen before. Um, and she sees on one of them, uh, the paper uh, was was uh sorry the paper was sorry the paper with the graffiti was rachel's a crude drawing of a dog was violating one corner which had been torn slightly to accommodate the dog a speech balloon over the smiling dog's head read you don't know shit <laughs> um and just god i love this detail because uh, taylor thinks about how she recalls always having a sense of the local gangs who and, and like who to fear and now she's the local gangs yeah you're absolutely right and like we know this is not her school, but but here's that moment of everything coming full circle again. That that in Arc 20, we're returning to the beginning of the book. We're returning to Arc 1. We're back at school. We're back at the, some of the first characters in the story. But this time, everything's different. It's like we're living in an alternate universe or something yeah. um, where where she's on the other side of the food chain. And it's it's really fulfilling narratively to see, to be placed in basically the same setting i mean i know it's not the same school but it's close enough to being the same setting that we might as well just call it the same setting yeah. and seeing how different things are yeah yeah you're right 
So we're getting we're getting some of these very subtle beats regarding kind of the differences in the students. And a group of students watches her pass, and one of them gives her an inscrutable Tyler Durden nod. Uh, we're not really sure yet what to make of this. Yeah, but like, I mean, I think these people recognize each other. They know each other. They can tell who who is the survivors and who is not. Mm-hmm. And there's this this sense of camaraderie amongst them uh, that that pays off at the yeah. end of of twenty dot five. Yeah, and I and I guess you probably do get that at that point um, because she's already identified the two groups as being what they are. But but Taylor, I think, is still a little bit confused and doesn't really understand like why these people are, are watching her the way yeah. they are. Yeah, yeah, they're just staring at her, and she she actually nods to this person first, mm-hmm. and they nod back in that kind of knowing mm-hmm. way. But yeah, there's this real sense of uh, first of all, she's nervous because she's terrified of, of her identity being revealed. But um, she, there's also this this yeah this these people know each other there's been there's been amongst the survivors of the city there's been kind of um a collective that's formed and i think you know you can you can extrapolate that kind of we've earned this mentality like we've gone through this we understand each other we're a group and everyone else is foreign to us amongst the people with powers and the people that had powers via their actual traumas versus the people that, that bought them. There's a common thread there that we see um, that people who feel like they've gone through something together kind of coalesce around each other and are, are kind of shun the people that they don't feel have earned that same thing. That's a really interesting connection between those two things that I hadn't thought of. But yeah, you definitely see the same level of like almost disgust from, from the, from the kind of uh, more natural capes against the cauldron capes. And you see the same way yeah. that the, that the the people who stayed in Brockton Bay are like, hey, we all we all we're all in this together with this shared trauma, and and we we have a hard time relating to you uh, you other folks. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, so she tries to go to the front office uh, to get a sense of where Greg might be. Protectorate capes, adamant and seer are there, and she almost immediately starts thinking about how to fight them. That's a totally normal thing to do, um, and it's moments like these that you can almost feel her power, her, her passenger, like itching to fight again, like Mm -hmm. conflict, conflict. We got to do this. We got to do this. Here's how you could do this. I think we'll, we see this reflected again in in how she kind of struggles to maintain control in her Emma confrontation. And then we, we hit this beat very specifically in a chords chapter later on, where we see him literally just in this constant sense of struggle to resist what his power is telling him to do. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. And I think like, you know very you know very early in the story taylor would have been like oh cool like capes and they're in their cool outfits and now she's just like how how can i win yeah how do i take these guys down and she doesn't even need to like there's there's no reason for her to assume she's going to have to fight them at this point um right i mean she's literally just there to confront greg (laughs) yeah right yeah, so she canvasses the school. She she kind of gets the information she needs, but not really. So she ends up just canvassing the school, looking for Greg. Um, she's avoiding using her bugs at this point because she doesn't want to attract attention with bugs that are moving weirdly. And then she she does run across Emma once, noticing her new hairstyle immediately, but then she moves on. Yeah, I'm so glad the hairstyle stuff was pointed out to us last week uh, by Wildbow. I guess he was remembering <laughs> this moment. Um like Emma's hair as this ongoing symbol of the assault she suffered. And this is something that, that Taylor is so blissfully unaware of. She has no idea of this. Uh, but it, but it was something that Taylor was always jealous of her for. And this is about to pay off Matt in the most amazing way ever. I love this beat. I know. 
So Taylor finally finds Greg and and corners him. And due to his kind of puppy dog like uh, exuberance, she decides that she needs to kind of just steamroll him, accusing him of stalking her, stonewalling his insinuations about who she is. Um, and she's she's pretty harsh. So like Scott, don't you feel just a little bit sorry for Greg here? Because uh, Taylor actually does. Because whatever else she is, it's not in her nature to kick a puppy. But she kicks the puppy anyway because she has to or she feels that she does. Um, and, and I can't help but compare this to Emma's behavior where, like Emma, she's being cruel to somebody to protect herself at the risk of actually getting used to behaving that way. Yeah. Yeah. So, first of all, yeah, I do feel bad for Greg here. <laughs> um, I think I think what Wildbo did is that in order to build tension a little bit at the end of the Parahumans online scene, there was some ambiguity regarding what greg would do with the information that he had just stumbled upon was he going to use it against taylor was he going to use it to try to manipulate her to get what he wants uh the real truth is is much less severe and and much more sad greg does suck but i feel bad for greg yeah are there are you happy are you happy greg apologists yeah. i mean, happy I, mean that I said that i think we should say that a lot of our vitriol toward greg was a little bit amped up for the sake of humor i mean he's yeah. he, he sucks in the way that that like many many including probably us 16 year old guys <laughs> suck um right so so like a lot of that was just like poking fun at a target that was apparently designed to be an easy target um, yeah. yeah yeah absolutely i mean that's like the the entire point of a lot of that chapter is to show us just all the ways in which greg behaves like an immature child um trying to play it at something that he doesn't understand and so that's easy to poke fun at yes we were playing it up a little bit I, I don't despise Greg more than like any of the evil, terrible characters who do really awful things in the story. Yeah, right. The the thing I really noticed here, though, and, and I think the thing that really makes you feel bad for Greg is how differently the two of them are portrayed. Like they're the same age, but this conversation feels like an adult punishing a child for their reckless behavior. Yeah. Like she's like, like chastising and scolding him. And, and, and it, it goes to show us that contrast between those who stayed and those who left that, that Taylor, Taylor has lost her childhood. She is, she is not a kid anymore because of her experiences. Greg, on the other hand, is still very much just a 16 year old kid. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So in, in the middle of their, um, in the middle of their interaction, um, some, some redhead boy, uh, heroically intervenes taking time out of his schedule to possibly bail taylor out of a jam um clocks hey oh sorry, sorry matt i was i was just trying to check the the time on my clock um to make sure we weren't running late but something was something was blocking it oh so let's no worries scott yeah let's just move on yeah yeah um yeah so that that kid whoever that is uh he he leaves um no idea no idea yeah um and uh Greg Greg says Greg says something um I forget what he says exactly I didn't write that down. He basically just says how he discovered that Skitter was Taylor. Oh okay, like, yeah, yeah. And it's just like this simple Right. Like, like like it was obvious. Yeah. <laughs> and and her response is that was just about the most horrifying thing he could have said barring near impossibilities like I got powers and I ate your hair to get pregnant with your child. Um <laughs> <laughs> which i laugh every time i get to that part like what where did she why did she go there that's such a weird a weird place to go 
I mean, <clears throat> a kid that touches people and sort of gets pregnant with copies of them. <laughs> I guess. I just love it. It's just so comedic to me. Yeah. So she, she hammers home that she's definitely not Skitter and, and she parts with this. You're not a bad guy, Greg. I said, sorry, I'm not the person you wanted me to be. He nodded mute. Take care of yourself. Good luck with school. Maybe I'll see you around. Yeah. So this is a phrase that once again, works on, on two levels because on the surface level, sorry, I'm not the purpose you want to be your person. You want me to be is just her lying. Like I'm not Skitter. Uh, the second is is more I am not who you think I am. I am not the nerdy outcast that you felt you could so relate to. Mm. That is not the person I am anymore, Greg. And I love it so much. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's true. It's got a double so, meaning. So before before we move on from this thing, I just want to talk about something that we didn't actually write down, but we we chatted about it in our daily conversations. Um I, Skitter is acting kind of crazy here like she's very reckless and the idea that she learns that greg might know who she is from a text message from charlotte and then has to come rushing to school uh to talk him down and to convince him he's wrong like from from greg's point of view he mentioned something about taylor and skitter to a few people in class and then suddenly Taylor, who doesn't go to school here, is here in his in his face saying like, no, that's wrong. Why would you say that? Like, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, if things hadn't gone the way they go, you can almost imagine him like going home that night and being like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I think it's just it's because Greg is this kind of cowardly, uh, insecure guy that that Skitter is able to convince him. Like, I think any other person would be like. You know, you're being really defensive about this thing you're saying is not remotely true. I mean, you came all the way down here because one person told you I mentioned your name. Like it's 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 nuts. Yeah, she's just she that I think this is her character is that she has to confront every problem head on with like overwhelmingly right. devastating force. Um she doesn't really do subtlety too well actually. Yeah. I, I think is a fair thing to say. And and this would be a situation that actually calls for subtlety, like like you would have been like Charlotte, you know, maybe maybe get Charlotte to talk to him and find out why he thinks he knows that, right. and and then uh, maybe approach him later out of school. I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I get why she, I get from from within her head why she felt like it was urgent. Yeah, but I feel like you know, if if I were in this situation, not having her particular character like flaws, if you will, I, I would be more patient and and so forth yeah and and i bring this up only to say that we're about to get this emma confrontation um and and part of me thinks that on some possibly subconscious level it taylor knew emma was going to be here and taylor wanted to come to this school she wanted a, a legitimate enough excuse to come to school and have this confrontation she couldn't just go to school she that taylor's uh, compartmentalization and her justification for things doesn't allow i'm just going to go to school and be a student but her first chance to do it and she jumps on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think there might be something to that. Yeah. So as, as she leaves having, you know, verbally roughed up Greg, uh, she does indeed feel like, like Emma. Um, <laughs> and, and then she senses Emma and she can either go the long way around and avoid her, or she can just go past her. 
And Scott, I think this ties into what you said earlier, but I, I want to point out that if Taylor had just gone the long way around, this arc could have gone very differently. A small choice, but meaningful. Yeah, and I think that's another another kind of confirmation that she wanted this confrontation. She she wanted it. Um, like she knew that Emma was here. She like there's that whole scene in the Emma chapter where Taylor sees Emma drive by. She knows she's back in town, so it's it's rightful to assume that on the first day of school Emma will be here, and and she she wanted this just a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah, she's she's like I'm not, you know. She makes excuses for herself. I think we might as well say at this point that I think there's quite a bit of of flagrant unreliable narrator stuff going on when it comes yeah. to Taylor's own like motivations for things because she's like, you know, whatever. I, I'm not going to be late to lunch with my dad because of Emma, and it's like, yeah, that's not really why you're going to go walk by her because you, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you know that this is going to lead to her confronting you, right? Like, yeah. I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to go the long way, which would have added 30 seconds. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So instead, when I give her the opportunity, I will follow Emma into the to the principal's office to report her. Right. <laughs> which yeah. we haven't even gotten there yet. But, right. I mean, yeah. Jesus. Exactly. Yeah. That, that too. Right. So, yeah. Emma approaches her as soon as she shows up outside, predictably. Um, and as we end this this chapter, Taylor is thinking, there were few people in this world that had truly earned my hate. I put a bullet through the last one's brain. Emma, I couldn't care less about her. That was what unsettled me. And this is, I think, when we're talking about these motivations, Matt, exactly what you said, this unreliable narrator thing, because this is total bullshit. Um, Like, like there is every way she reacts from this point forward to to the conversation, to what Emma's saying, to what Emma's doing, to Emma's mere presence, says that... I couldn't care less about her is just false. It's just not true. And I don't, I don't, I'm not even sure what she's doing here. That idea that I, I guess she's just trying to frame the power struggle as if I am going to win this because I am so much above her that I don't even care about her anymore. But we very clearly see that that's not the entire truth. Yeah. I think it's that she's, She's compartmentalized away these emotions. There was a, there was a great comment um, yesterday or, or today, and it was about Alec and about how it's it's not that Alec doesn't have emotions. It's it's more like his emotions are not accessible to him. And I always think about the scene when he when he finds out about the bullying, and and like in his head he's like he didn't really feel angry about it, but but like nonetheless he like sits there and like thoughtfully like slaps the phone against his palm or something, and it's like some part of alec is actually seething about this and it, and it's caught and it's it's causing him to decide okay i'm gonna fucking ruin your life now sophia um but he doesn't have access to the emotions he just has access to the conclusion of what he's gonna do and i think that's a lot like what's happening to taylor right here because she's like her own feeling is like i'm looking at emma and i don't feel what i expect to feel but that's that's not to say that you're like, she's actually like her behavior in this scene, extremely confrontational, this upcoming scene, extremely confrontational, direct, combative, um, aggressive. And, and she's like, and, and but to herself, she's couching it all as like, I don't care about you. I don't care about this. This is, yeah. this is nothing to me. Um, yeah. And it's all just completely, like you said, bullshit. Yeah. I think that's absolutely a great and accurate. And yeah, the Alec thing was a great comparison. 
Yeah. We, we need to stop saying he doesn't have emotions. I agree because that's, I think we just, we're using that as like a, a shorthand to describe what's going on with him, but it's yeah. not entirely accurate. Yeah. Yeah. So we go into 20.3 and uh, immediately we have, we have this conflict happen uh, and, and Emma opens up with change your look. I have to say you managed to make any style look great. <laughs> the sarcasm was subtle. There was also a glimmer of a memory in there. She was referencing something. I brushed it aside. I doubted I wanted to think too hard on it. Scott, <laughs> this this earnest compliment that Taylor made in passing like a year ago has been eating away at Emma all this time. Oh, my God. Yeah, there's like a million word long setup. Like, this yeah. is like just just a nothing comment that Taylor made where she was just literally trying to be nice to her friend. And it's God. It just pays off in the most spectacular way. It's like the first thing Emma says to her. It's just like it was r- ripping apart her insides. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> Emma's like this will this will really stick it to her. And Taylor's like, yeah. is she referencing something? Did, she, I, did I say something? Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, and this time it's really hard for Taylor to hold those bugs back. Uh, she has to actively restrain them. Like they're, they're fighting her, her, her imagination keeps serving up delicious images of, of revenge and, and of Emma in terror, which reminds me of a character from later in this arc. Yeah. And, and she could totally care less about her, right? That's a hundred percent what's happening here. Yeah. Um, people that you don't even care about often cause you to get so angry that your power almost takes control of your impulses. That's a thing that happens. Yeah. Happens to me all the time. <laughs> um yeah so taylor does stand up to emma here and and she verbally unleashes on her since she can't attack her physically um and generally she's semi-accidentally taking just the perfect tack to undermine emma's whole coping mechanism yeah and i think this is this that moment is honestly what the, takes this scene and really elevates it from just a good confrontation to great because had emma's interlude not been in the story at all i still think this would have mostly largely worked as a scene, but because of that interlude, because of that additional characterization that we got and, and Wild Bo's toying with dramatic irony again here, this whole scene is operating on like three different levels at the same time. So we're seeing Taylor and what she thinks she's doing. We're seeing uh, Emma and what, what she knows. And then we're seeing the, the external interplay between the two of them. And it's like, each of them are fighting each other while also fighting with their own eternal internal demons. And it's just so wonderful. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, it, that's a good point that, that, that there's a level on which like, if you're, if you're one of the bystanders watching this scene, you have no clue what is going on in these two people's heads. Um, you really just see two yeah. girls yelling at each other in, 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 in getting extremely angry. Um, yeah. So the, the swarm is actually working its way toward her whenever her attention drifts away, which is <laughs> which is pretty bad. Um, so yeah, like now seems like a good time to point out that Taylor has not really had to restrain herself from hurting somebody, like, like any any use of violence, um, basically since she left school in the first place. Um, and now that she's finally trying to hold it back, she finds it much harder. Uh, remind anybody of, of Noel, for example? Such a good point, Matt. Uh, restraint has not been in Taylor's vocabulary for a while now. And every time she doesn't hold back, she's kind of rewarded for it. So you get that kind of positive response loop where every time you use violence, it solves your problem. And, and it's like the passengers starting to assert its power. Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't I, it? I, I mean, I'm just thinking of all these little micro events. Like when she, 
kicked uh, Barker's ass for almost no reason or, yeah. or, or how she treated these thugs just earlier in this arc. It's, it's like if she had tried to restrain herself, I bet she would have felt that little nudge. Really? Yeah. You, you really want to restrain yourself yeah. here? Almost as if these moments where we like call out how Taylor's acting aggressive and recklessly are like intentional and we're supposed to be a little worried about them because they add up to something. No, almost. you're crazy, Scott. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Emma's response to Taylor's, you know, verbal assault actually like practically makes no sense uh, unless you understand what's going on in her head, because apparently in Emma's mind, all Taylor ever needed to do was stand up for herself and demonstrate (laughs) herself as a like as a predator or at least non prey. And then everything would have been just peachy. Everything could have gone back to normal. Yeah, but this is as bullshit as as Taylor's. I don't care about Emma line. Like. It makes sense as far as the bullshit Sophia philosophy is concerned, but like it, all Taylor standing up to herself would have done would be to threaten Emma's life philosophy even more. Like Taylor became a victim when her mother died and any amount of strength that she's shown would have threatened Emma's warped um, coping mechanism. Er- ergo, she probably would have just pushed harder against her. It's just not true at all. Yeah, I mean, th- th- this right here, Emma, is Taylor standing up to you? Yeah, and, and you're uh, you're not taking it well. Right, you're not exactly like best buds now. Yeah, um, and so yeah, Taylor almost surgically refutes this by correctly identifying Sophia as the source of this toxic meme and explaining that Sophia was always just a violent thug and nothing more. I hate her where it hurts. And then and then Emma plays her, what's that card game where you destroy other people's lives? That's the President Trump card. Oh, yeah. She, she plays that card. Um, and she tells Taylor that her mom's car crash was specifically due to Taylor's failure to call her mom when she was supposed to. And furthermore, that Danny blames Taylor for her mom's death. Yeah, I'm just going to repeat my uh, gut reaction that I tweeted out when I heard this, which was basically, no, you fucking did not just do that, Emma. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I like to imagine what, like, the bystanders are thinking, where they're just like, this person is insane. Like, like that's a that's such a <laughs> horrible thing. Like, like, like I think yeah. you, you can get the, like, Sophia, because she was so screwed up, would have been like, oh, good one, Emma. But, like, these normal bystanders would be like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, like, what the fuck? It's yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and yeah, this definitely does get to Taylor, uh, because she, she sees a grain of truth in it. Um, but she also understands what this is. She's compared Tattletail to Emma often enough to understand this tactic because it, it could be true. It could be an educated guess. Um, in any case, there's nothing to be gained from taking the bait here. Matt, this is such a wonderfully complicated arc. Like we said, we're seeing everything come full circle. We're seeing old plot threads tied off. We're seeing examples of Taylor being that same traumatized teenage girl that she's been since the beginning of the book. Um, but but it, it's not just that. We're seeing her moments of growth, too. We're seeing how she has changed. Because Taylor very clearly can care less about Emma. Um, she very much still cares about her. She very much still hates her on some level. And, and she probably always will on, on some level. But also, Taylor is strong. And Emma is... And Emma and the things that Emma cares about are beneath her now. So, yeah, she doesn't... She doesn't care... She, while she does care, she doesn't care enough to bother 
lowering herself to Emma's point in this moment. And it's really, it's really a fantastic beat. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is all because, um, like Taylor fundamentally doesn't understand how trauma works at all. I think she has a, a naive kind of perspective on it, which is, which yeah. is somewhat understandable because she's so young, but she's like, well, I have no reason to care about Emma. Thus, I don't care about Emma. And that's not how brains work. Um, yeah. They don't work by reason. Well, especially when you have this thing in your body that's like poking and prodding at your source of trauma and reinforcing it. Yeah. Um, right. That, that right. helps. Yeah. That, that helps. Yeah. So the argument is interrupted by Danny calling Taylor's phone and she answers it and uh, Emma punches and shoves Taylor. Um, and t- Taylor lets it happen because she can feel it coming, but she just lets it happen. And the gate guard who let her in grabs Emma and tells Taylor that uh, she can leave if she wants, but there's only going to be justice if she comes along and testifies against Emma for, for doing this. And this is so important in this moment because um, we've had a couple beats now where like, Taylor's response to Emma, like, what are you doing? What are you, why are you here? Taylor is just like, Emma, all I want to do is go have lunch with my dad. And now here, as things begin to escalate, as it it turns to violence, Danny calls in almost as if to serve as a reminder to us and to Taylor of what she could potentially be giving up by continuing, by continuing along this path, by staying here, by staying in this. Here's Danny. Danny's here. He's waiting for you, Taylor. And and yet, and yet, yeah, yeah, like you could leave now. This is last chance. Um, but no, Taylor chooses to accompany them to the principal's office. Um, yep, yeah, th- th- there goes your second window of escape. The guard yeah. orders three of the bystanders to come as well. Yeah, yeah, and and throughout this, uh, until this point, nothing was stopping her Taylor from having lunch with her father. Nothing. Um, if that's really what she wanted to do, that's what she could be doing. She had multiple opportunities to leave. She had an opportunity to never come. We've already talked about how impractical it was to run down here and and confront this head on. Um, What happens to Taylor in these next few chapters is not her fault. But I think it's important to point out that it was of her own making, that she made decisions that led to this moment. Yeah. And and I don't think she's even fully aware. I I agree with you that her motivations here are not are not what she thinks they are. Yeah. So once in the office, Principal Collins proves to be a no-nonsense and efficient uh, administrator. The guard and the and two of the witnesses are firmly on Taylor's side, and this causes Taylor to immediately contemplate whether this is some kind of cape shenanigans. <laughs> this, this whole scene, Matt, is just... Matt, I love this. <laughs> I love it so much. Like, I loved the scene. Was it arc four that we had the big confronting Emma in front of the principal scene. I believe, I believe it was arc four, something like that. Um, but, but this is mirroring that it's Taylor and Emma in a room, a principal accusations. Um, but we're in bizarro world now and this time things are different and it's so bewildering for Taylor and, and you're right in in us that, um, that we're kind of almost blown back. We've never seen things. We've never seen dealings with authority go Taylor's way in such an extreme way before in this whole book. And it's, it's off putting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is comedic to me that she sort of 
can't let go of the idea that like let me think through all my potential enemies and which one of them could be doing this to me as a trick because (laughs) there's no way this is real this can't be real yeah because the principal is also pretty much immediately on taylor's side um or at least not on emma's and and she goes to great lengths to emphasize the stupidity of picking fights in in the current brockton bay (laughs) they're talking about about like knives and taylor and taylor admits to having a knife and and the principal asks have you used it and taylor says that one no um <laughs> which is just perfectly intimidating um, i assume sunglasses just went over her eyes and, <laughs> and deal with it appeared along the bottom yes i think that's what happened so the principal is finally able to pull up the lovely text message exchange between sophia and emma that regent helpfully emailed to the city officials and of course taylor assumes this was sophia's doing um yeah which which we know is not true yeah, the, the most amazing part of this is that we wait so long for Chekhov's text messages to uh, come back that we've almost kind of forgotten about them. Um, and at least, like, I know there are people that, that you know, binge read this and maybe hadn't forgotten about them. But as we're reading it much slower, yet still faster than it was published, mind you, um, we we know they're there in the back of your head somewhere. And it's it's kind of there sneaking up on you all along. But you don't realize it until the moment and you're like, oh, shit, yeah that yeah yeah you're you're almost like well i guess that's just never going to come into play but here it is it's and it's it's great principal howell asks taylor if she wants to press charges and after thinking about it taylor says no mainly because it would be a distraction and and a risk to herself so howell kicks emma out and tells her that she's basically expelled for the rest of the semester yeah i I made a connection here in my in my eternal quest to find connections between everything i read in stories Um, i made a connection to this interaction between the principal and taylor uh, in this moment to how taylor handled that that japanese christian couple earlier in the chapter where where the 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 position of authority is asking the the wronged person do you want us to move like do you want me to move forward with this and the wronged person says no and then something happens anyway. Yeah. And I, I don't know if that's intentional. I don't know if that was done in purposefully or not. But it, it, it does slightly mirror itself a little bit here. And I just wanted to call attention to that. I think it is. I think it's highlighting Taylor, uh, uh, Taylor's sort of lack of self-awareness with regards to, like, when I'm in the leadership position, it's different. Yeah. Because um, Howell is doing exactly what Taylor did here. But Taylor's like, like, why didn't you listen to me? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, after Emma leaves, it, it then becomes clear that Howell knew that Taylor was involved with the undersiders in, in some way. I don't think it's implied that uh, she knew Taylor is a cape, just that no. her name is on a list of people uh, that she's supposed to give a little bit of leeway to. So anyway, it's, it's clearly all Tattletale's doing. Um, so so it is it is cape shenanigans in a sense. <laughs> um, yep. And Taylor thinks, uh, I felt numb, a little disgusted with how things had turned out that the only reason this system seemed to be working was because it was already corrupt to a fundamental level. I could still feel some of the anger and irritation from the argument with Emma, the thrill of adrenaline. And and my response to that is, yeah, yeah, it's corrupted, but it's corrupted by you, Taylor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. But on the one hand, you do feel bad for her, right? Because like for a brief second, Taylor believed that these authority systems had finally worked in her favor, had finally done what they were supposed to do. And at, you, you could argue, and, I, and when I tweeted this on my first read-through, someone responded that, that we, we don't learn, like, 
the principal does not learn Taylor's name until the very end of this arrangement. So, like, some of the punishment was already being dealt out. Uh, some of the authority system supporting her was already happening. And perhaps the, the Emma situation would have gone almost almost the exact the same without Taylor's influence. But that that doesn't matter because to Taylor, it was not the system that saved her at all. To Taylor, Tattletale's influence completely says that this system is corrupt. It doesn't work. And the only reason things went my way is because of the corruption of that system, because authority failed me again. And it was only the rebellion from that authority that saved me. And it just serves to reinforce that feeling and that behavior more and more. Yeah, I think we even see like the moment when the principal becomes aware of, of what's going on. Like, like her, like she's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm having some trouble with my computer." And and like I read that as her being like, reading, like basically figuring out like, "Oh, this is someone on the list. I need to give them some, yeah. some leeway." Yeah. Like, um, so so I think everything up to that point, which was still going in Taylor's favor, um, right. as you say, was uh, was was above board. Um, but Taylor, like you, like you said, also Taylor's not going to read it that way. She's going to read this as like, nope, as I expected, yep. everything is corrupt and can't trust <laughs> yeah. anybody. Yep. So yeah, Taylor walks out of, out of this woman's office and she has kind of a minor emotional breakdown right there in the office and she collapses into a chair. Yeah. That's the, uh, I couldn't care less about Emma Taylor yeah. <laughs> collapsing in a chair and having an emotional breakdown. Yeah, I, and I, I Notice once again that that to steady herself, she she disembodies and disconnects and goes into her bugs again, which is something she frequently does. Yeah, but like this is the girl who had somebody trying to saw her skull open with a circular saw, and she didn't collapse into a chair after that. Yeah, um, it's funny how trauma and PTSD works, huh? Yeah, yeah. But even even from this, she she doesn't really get a reprieve because. Almost immediately, Howell communicates to her that somebody's coming for her, and she runs. It's in a really cool way too, where she writes her address on the form down as like nine one one Runaway yeah. Street and nine one nine one Escape Avenue. And it got me thinking: what if someone lives on nine one one Escape Avenue? It must be really stressful. <laughs> yeah, like every time you go to the bank and you tell someone your address, the teller looks at you like, "Oh God, do I have to push the silent alarm now." Um, <laughs> are you robbing me yeah right <laughs> so okay 20.4 taylor is now fleeing uh but she's stopped from actually running so uh she she starts trying to leave as quick, quickly as possible though using her her bugs in a in a subtle but less subtle than before way to prepare her escape yeah matt this chapter is a little weird um because 20.3 was filled with like a lot of really juicy thematic stuff to talk about uh 20.5 is like chock full of that stuff and we're probably going to spend an hour on that chapter alone and like you said when we were talking about this earlier this is kind of a, a connective tissue chapter um a, just a really a series of events just just get us from one of these things to the other it's not bad i i quite enjoy it a lot it's just it's our action chapter kind of so there's there's not a whole lot of really insightful stuff to say about it um so I, i'm gonna jump in where i can but yeah. there's just not a lot yeah i mean i think this is largely the combat chapter out of this entire arc because because right. she's she's running you know she she doesn't she doesn't know anything actually at this point she knows someone is after her um she doesn't know she doesn't know who she doesn't know where they are she doesn't know anything but eventually her bugs find adamant and seer apparently on the move and she reasons from this that the protectorate is after her so howell is forced to put the school on lockdown 
um, and this means Taylor's options for escape are disappearing. She tracks um, two boys leaving their classrooms and getting dressed in their costumes, and she recognizes the costumes as Clockblocker and Kid Wynn. The so, Clockblocker was here? I didn't, oh, I didn't know that. I guess he goes to this when school, did, Scott. When did he get there? That's really that's really cool detail. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see about that. So her range does extend outside the building, so she gathers enough bugs for a swarm clone, and then Seer intercepts it. Taylor is is kind of rounded up with other students, and she's brought to the cafeteria with, with those students. And she goes along with it, basically just to stay under the radar for now. She hunkers down near Charlotte while her swarm clones try to deal with Seer, and her other bugs try to find a way out of the building. Yeah, I will say that I do enjoy this is our action chapter, right? This is our high tense. Um, options are disappearing. We're having to make quick decisions. And for most of it, Taylor's just casually sitting at, in a lunch room yeah. on a table. Like, Chatting. I love her power so much. It's yeah. just like all the stuff's happening. She's doing all this stuff while just like chilling with her henchmen. Yeah, right. So she notices a weakness in Sears' power and she applies more pressure. And then she appraises Charlotte of the situation, but Char insists on staying by her side. Yeah, Charlotte is is kind of awesome. Uh, we I don't think we focus on her a lot. We tend to skip over some of her beats because we've got so much other stuff to talk about. But but like she has done a lot for Skitter, and and and, and she asks for so little in return because it would make her feel bad to get more money. Um, she's like loyal to a fault, even under these high pressure situations. Like Taylor kind of stumbled into this great hench person. Yeah, yeah, you're you're exactly right. Yeah, we don't talk about her enough. So Kidwin uh, tries to head out the front door, and he gets owned by bugs pretty bad. <laughs> oh, I mean, um, poor poor Kidwin. Uh, oh, buddy, try better next time, buddy. Yeah. He is always like on the losing side of things. <laughs> like you got to admit that like, if something bad goes wrong, and Kidwin's there, it's going to be probably happening to him. Yeah, well, he's he's the lovable doofus of the wards. Yeah. So, yeah, Taylor still feels that if she gets out of the school, it will be okay. So there's there's still there's still hope here. There's still a crack of hope. They can't directly come after her in, in her civilian identity, right? Uh, so so Charlotte is the one who points out that this whole situation doesn't make sense. Why come after her at school when she's surrounded by hostages? Yeah, that would break the rules, Matt. And and I mean, what kind of person would break the rules? No one we know. So she has her bugs tie Seer up like an AT-AT and knock him over. Uh, Kidwin is also on the ground thrashing. (laughs) (laughs) And she lets him up strategically just so that he can open the door for her and let her bugs in. And then she like ties his hand to the door handle hilariously. (laughs) And and then she uses those same bugs to to steal some keys from a school guard. Hey, remember that first time that Taylor used her bugs to steal a key and get out of being locked up in a hospital bed? Mm-hmm. Um, and how much that was like a huge ordeal that took all of her focus and attention. And now she's doing it while at the same time fighting capes with other bugs. Yep. Just, just chilling. Yep. So she stands and she makes to leave the cafeteria. And then like you say, Charlotte's like, oh, that, that that's it. She's like, yep, that's it. Um, <laughs> and uh, she's already thinking about image projecting confidence as she walks away. Her bugs are currently working to bring the door keys to her via an air vent. And today will forever be known as the day you almost caught Captain Jack Taylor Sparrow. Yeah. Jack Taylor. Yeah. And I mean, the first time, the first time you read this, you're like, yes, yes, yes. You know, like you're yeah. like, oh, I just, I remember being so like 
like you said, like glued to the screen. You're just like, okay, it's she's gonna make it. She's gonna make it. And then, whomp! Just yep. as she reaches the, the the door, some somebody giant lands outside and rips open the door. And his weapon, which we of course recognize, stuns all of her bugs. Um, and she also senses another heavy suit land across campus. So so we know who this is. Um, and and the chapter ends with Skitter. Dragon answered me loud enough for everyone to hear. Her voice was almost gentle. I'm sorry it worked out this way. My hand was forced. And there it is. There's S- Taylor is revealed as Skitter. And, and, and we learned that Dragon figured out Taylor's identity in arc 10. Um, 10 arcs ago. Like thousands, hundreds of thousands of words ago. Um, long enough ago that I completely forgot that that's a thing that Dragon knew. And uh, and here it is. Full circle indeed, huh? Yep. It's... God, this arc. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So we, we move on into 20.5, which is the chapter. Uh... The big one. Um, Taylor backs away from the heroes toward the students, and they don't pursue her, but they do wipe out her bugs. Taylor can see Emma from where she is and sees that she's basically in shock. Yeah, and, and so this is the start of a... a a 20.5 Emma three beat. That is some of the most amazing, like B plot storytelling I've ever seen. Um, because we know what Emma's worldview is and we know that everything she believed in, everything she thought of has been absolutely shattered by this revelation. Um, every single bit of that coping mechanism, that character that she created to, to basically survive is gone now because skitter taylor this person that she thought was a victim a weakling is the fucking warlord of brockton bay yeah right it's it's she couldn't things couldn't be more upside down for her and she's just reeling and and the 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 text doesn't like focus on it it just it just kind of flashes to it and you just see it and you have to kind of fill in the blanks in that and that's how every one of these beats in this three beat go that you have to fill in the blanks yeah and it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, we don't get like a this is what's going on in Emma's head, like 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 you know explanation. It's just like right. hey hey, figure it out. Like like you 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 saw what's going on with her. You get it. Yeah. yeah, and I love that. So Taylor's got almost no bugs. Five capes are against her. No costume or weapons. Um, there was almost something relieving about the idea that things couldn't get much worse than they were right now. Let the tension drain out. If they decide to drag me off to jail or the birdcage, there wasn't anything I could do about it. Yeah, that, that sure is refreshing, isn't it? I'm doomed. Hooray. Yeah. Um, there, there is a little thread here I want to pull at as we go through this. And, and I'm not sure how much it's textually supported and how much it's just me pulling things out of the air. But th- this, I, there's a few beats in here that, that once Taylor's identity has been exposed, that on some level... On some level, maybe some some conscious level, she kind of wants to be caught, just a little bit. And I just want to point those little tiny things out when we get to them. And I'm not sure how much it's supported, and I'm not sure how much of it is true, but that's something that just jumped out at me. Yeah, I don't think that's something that occurred to me, but like once you pointed it out, I definitely think that that there's a valid reading to be had there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So so Taylor confirms who she is to the room she's she is skitter uh she reminds dragon that this move won't look good skitter fought alongside the heroes against major threats and in return they're breaking the code 
Yeah. And there's there's so much dramatic irony going on here because, of course, it's Dragon in this moment. And, of course, the Dragon responds that she had no choice. And Taylor kind of chastised hers for that. Like, she's like, you always have a choice. Like, you, you could have chosen not to ally yourself with these people. And, of course, we know that is literally not true, <laughs> that that she is an AI that literally has to follow orders. Um, but But Taylor is high-roading her while not fully understanding the situation. Yeah, and we've seen Dragon struggle with this repeatedly. Having she, we, Even when we were in her head, we saw that she, right. she she was angry about the fact that she had to follow these orders. We saw Murden give her shit for exactly the same thing back in uh, Traveler's Ark. Um, yeah. Yeah, so so this is, this is something that's also been set up. And uh, I don't know, is this going to resolve here? I don't know. Uh, maybe. Yeah. So Skidder threatens to reveal the secrets that she knows... Uh, but Dragon tells her that it's not in her to do that. Skidder responds by giving her usual litany of the sins that she feels bad for, or at least the ones that look the worst. Uh, and this includes an implication that she's currently harming Seer. Yeah, this is um, this is another beat mat that that makes me pull at that string a little bit that that Taylor wants to be caught because, like, I know that her listing her sins here is all about intimidation. Uh, and projecting that image but part of it to me part of it feels like a confession like she's she's laying her sins bare for the world to see and asking to be judged and and let's not forget that in these moments that she's as she's projecting this image of herself and she's laying these sins out here she's mentally comparing herself to jack slash and to bakuda these people that that she learned this method of being from and it's almost as if she's like demanding judge me like judge me people yeah yeah, absolutely. I think I think that is that is fair. And she says, you know, you put me in a room with 300 people that I could theoretically take hostage. Why? You can't be that confident that I wouldn't hurt someone. Emma was sitting to my right. She hadn't budged from her position, safe in the midst of several of the school staff. I directed a centipede to crawl across her hand, and she shrieked. In her haste to get up from the bench, she fell. So I, I really wanted to point this out, and I've wanted to talk about this for a long time, because this is... Like she just couldn't hold back. Like she, we almost got out of this whole situation without Emma, without Taylor ever once using her powers against Emma. And, and we just didn't quite, didn't quite make it. Yeah. And ironically, uh, out of all the time that Taylor could have chosen to use her powers on her, uh, this is probably the one that had the most devastating effect on her. Yeah. Uh, Because this is in this moment, this is, where Emma is at her lowest, where her entire worldview has has been shattered. And then Taylor chooses now to fuck with her with her bugs. Yeah. And and not not even like not even because she wants to hurt Emma. She's just using her as like a distraction in the course of dealing with actually threatening people. Right. She's right. completely like uh belittling actually. Yep. Um but, but yeah. her second beat, by the way. Yeah. But I think it's important. I think it's important because because it it would show it would show Taylor's restraint if she got out of this whole situation and she never used her powers on Emma even though she had an excuse to yeah and she cannot say that she did that she did not demonstrate restraint she, she and that's failed to <laughs> yeah and that's the one line throughout 
all of her dealings with her bullies that she said she would never cross. Yeah. That as mean as they are to me, as terrible as they are to me, I cannot use my powers on them. I cannot let other people use their powers on them. That is wrong. I will not cross that line. And she does it here so casually. Like yeah. it's not even, it's not even about Emma in that moment. It's not even about the revenge. It's just, I mean, it's a little, it's a little bit there, but that's, that's not the primary motivation for it. Yeah. She's just using her to make an example. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 I don't know. I feel like I'm harping too much, but I, I think this is an important tiny little moment. No, I think you're absolutely right. So Dragon and Defiant explain that they don't like the plan, but they're acting under orders from the PRT higher ups. And they keep trying to coax Taylor out of the cafeteria to talk in private. But Taylor views the audience as a form of security, a, a threat against the hero's reputations. Uh, to this, Defiant replies, uh, my reputation isn't a priority. He said, Dragon nodded, but I wasn't sure if it was approval or agreement. Um, <laughs> I love these little moments between them. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Dragon's like, that's, that's right, Colin. That's right. <laughs> um, and, and I love this. This is another, uh, this is just so packed full of, of things like this that I just want to quote the whole thing. Um, but she's thinking one of the worst possible things had just happened to me with my secret identity becoming public knowledge. And here I was unarmed without a single idea on how to get out of this. And the good guys were playing it safe. I smiled. I couldn't help it. Fuck me. Clock blocker, clock blocker muttered, muttered to dragon. I might not have made it out his words if it weren't for the bugs I'd planted on the heroin. It just sunk in. It's really her. Why only just now? So let's talk about why only just now, because I have my ideas. Okay. So so this this reminds me of when Noelle told uh, Chitter, the, the clone, Trickster said you thrive on this type of impossible fight, and, and the clone smiles. Um, so it, it's something that we don't really see because we're in Taylor's head, and she doesn't give us the most objective point of view sometimes. But from the outside, yeah, you can imagine that this crazy cocksure eagerness for a scrap would be something that actually registers with her enemies as like, this is skitter yeah yeah i think i think you're absolutely right here because uh, when Clockblocker looks at taylor in this moment he can't see skitter he just sees this this teenage girl not this terrifying monstrous villain personality that she presents to everyone but then that smile that that glee in the face of insurmountable odds that that is skitter and yeah. he sees that and it all clicks into place for him yeah you're you're absolutely right there and and crucially, Taylor doesn't get it. <laughs> she doesn't. Yeah. yeah. Um, so so yeah. So out of the blue here, um, Defiant apologizes for his past mistakes. We we've used that phrase uh, coming full circle like so many times this week. But but here's another one. Um, Armsmaster was the first cape that Taylor encountered in real life. It was the first one, um, the f- first good guy cape, I guess we should say, the first hero. Yeah. And and his behavior set the tone for how Taylor perceived superheroes from this point going first, going forward. Uh, there, there was Arms Master first, and then later Sophia. It, w- it was these people, it, it was their behavior that convinced Taylor that striving to be a superhero was not the things that she wanted. And and, and now we come full circle with Arms Master coming to her and and proving that, you know, he fucked up. He didn't do right. He wasn't a good person in these moments. And and it's kind of this, this you're, you're you're putting chinks in her worldview in in this in this view of everyone on this bad guy team 
is bad because these people are terrible on it. And, and Taylor, it's, it's a little more complicated than that. And, and that's what this apology does. And it's just this, this magnificent circle from the first moment where she walked up and talked to Armsmaster. And we got this, this image of him as this cocksure asshole. And now we have that cocksure asshole apologizing and saying, I fucked up. Yeah, it's forcing her to imagine him complexly. And uh, yeah. and she's she doesn't like to do that. She likes to make people into her enemies, yep, or or her friends, and and just deal with just deal with it. Be 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 efficient and straightforward. And and here he's 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 working his way out of that compartment. He's saying, "Hey, I'm I'm a complex human being, and I, I made a yep. mistake, and I apologize." Yep. So it it, it bothers her. Um, but she does point out that this apology doesn't make sense in context of doing this much worst thing to her that they're doing right now by revealing her identity so they reveal finally that this is all part of instructions from a precog and as soon as she hears this she understands that it's dinah so yeah this you know there's 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 moments in reading where like even if you don't like predict the reveal you kind of see you're ramping up to a reveal and you can kind of see what the reveal is going to be uh, this was not one of them for me. This hit me like, like I I wasn't expecting this. I did not see it coming. I was shocked and I was like, holy shit. Like it, it was a real holy shit moment for me. And it's a holy shit moment that like immediately makes all this other behavior click into place because like Dragon also says stuff like, like, how do you know I'm not going to reveal your secrets? And Dragon says, you won't. And she's speaking like, like she knows. And it's like, of course, she was, there was a precog. She knew. She, she literally did know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Like, this is just absolutely gutting at this moment because, um, you, you're, you're with Taylor and she's like, oh, yeah, she's, she's still, she still got it. She can still figure this out. I don't know how she's going to do it, but she's going to figure it out. And then yeah. when the, when the Dinah thing happens, it just, it's, it just takes the wind out of her sails. Um, and, yep. and she's just, she's just completely deflated. Um, and and she asks, <laughs> um, even though she already knows, um, like was was Dinah forced to give up this information? And 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 Arms Master uh, implies that that no, she wasn't forced. Yeah. And and Dragon volunteers for some reason that there's a ninety six point eight percent chance that they'll successfully bring her into custody, and that violence has a less than one percent chance of succeeding. Um. To which I respond, why would you tell her that, Dragon? Now she knows that the answer, <laughs> if there is one, involves nonviolence. So you immediately gave her the tools she needed to escape. God, you never tell your opponent about the nature of the precog trap. <laughs> right. Stupid AIs can't think right. I know. Um, but but we do, like, I'm going to bang that full circle drum again here, Matt, because Dinah is Taylor's motivation for more than half this story rescuing this girl has been everything to her her sole purpose for most of the decisions that she's made has been to rescue rescue dinah and now dinah has betrayed her or at least she perceives it as as a betrayal i i, I don't i'm not sure about what is actually going on here but the important part is taylor perceives it as a betrayal and and her world here has been turned upside down and and she's lost taylor she's lost dinah and so all she has left is skitter and that's why the next beat is perfect. Yeah, because Taylor mentions that she doesn't care for the name Skitter. Yeah, so she doesn't even like Skitter anymore. That's all that she has left, and she doesn't seem to like it anymore. And I know we're just talking about the name. Like, uh, on the surface level, she's just saying, I don't like the name Skitter. 
but come on. Like, how much have we talked about names in this story? How much have we talked about how names are part of your identity, are part of who you are? Uh, Taylor stumbled and bumbled into becoming this person, becoming Skitter. Uh, it, it was never... It was never a thing she set out to do. She rationalized, she justified, she compartmentalized her way into this identity. It wasn't really the one she wanted. And and it 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 was it was placed on her literally in that someone gave her the name, but but she kind of just fell into this thing by choice after choice after choice and 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 I think in this moment she's like I don't even I don't even like this. Yeah. But yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, and that's perfectly fitting because, because Dinah, like, if, if by by this perceived betrayal, it's sort of a rejection of all of those things that she did to become Skitter. It's it's like right. this was all for nothing. Right. If 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 this if Dinah is going to do this to me, and that I think that's really what 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 gets to her is, is like I did all these horrible things that I regret, and it's all for nothing apparently. Yep. Yep. But just because she doesn't like Skitter uh, doesn't mean she's not going to use her. Yep. Because there she makes up her mind and she calls out to the students. And uh, here we have it. Stand if you side with me, I called out. I won't make any big speeches here. That's not who I am. I won't feed you lies or guilt you into this. It's your call. What had I expected? A handful of people, Charlotte included? A slow gathering buildup? Of the 300 or so students in the auditorium, nearly a third stood from the benches where they'd sat. As a mass, they migrated my way, gathering behind me. Charlotte stood just to my left, staring forward without making eye contact with me. Sorry, I have uh, something in my eye. I have to... <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. No, it's it's a really beautiful moment. Um, it, it really is. Like, these people... These people have been knocked down. They've been kicked around. The heroes have failed them. The government has failed them. And Taylor exists outside of all that. And she exists in their eyes as one of the people that have cared about, that cared about her, that, that helped them. And so Taylor calls her swarm and they come to her. Yeah. I just comment on the writing. I don't know how many times I've read this chapter specifically, but I think that I've like, gotten choked up at this point every time which is something because usually if i reread something i'm like yeah i know what's gonna happen it's not gonna affect me the same way um but i just find this to be i don't know this works on me yeah no i get that there's i mean there's episodes of some of my favorite tv that and no matter how many times i've seen the episode i i will be emotionally devastated by the end of it yeah so that's that's good writing that it, it's not it's not the reveal it's not the newness of the emotion it's the rawness of the emotion yeah that's a great way of putting it love that yeah so like you say uh the the mass of young brocktonites swarms i guess uh, around taylor in, in, in solidarity uh on the sidelines emma is repeating something over and over but we don't hear it yeah and here's the end of our three beat matt First, we see her stunned in silence, then Skitter scares her with a bug, and now we leave her almost catatonic, rocking back and forth, chanting something broken. Yeah. That's Emma. This is, this is, this is what's happened to Emma. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's, I mean, you, I think you do feel kind of bad for her in this moment. Yeah. yeah. I do. I yeah. do. I mean, like, like, it's like everyone is fucked up in this world. Everyone has terrible stuff happening to them, and no one is getting the help they need for it. So, 
yeah, people do terrible things to each other all the time, but people do terrible things to each other in real life too. And, you know, you can, you can hate them for it. And, and sometimes you should, but you, you can understand it too. You can understand where it came from and you can pity them for the stuff that they've had to go through. Yeah, totally. So the students move as a mass and uh, Taylor stays hidden in their midst. The heroes can't use their powers. They can't get to her without hurting the students. Someone hands her a sweatshirt as uh, with a hood to slip into and the students use their bodies to impede the heroes uh, when they try to move forward. Matt, you are not putting enough bug imagery into your summary of this part. Like they attack Armsmaster by climbing all over him. And she's like controlling a swarm of people now, Matt. And you just seem to be ignoring it for some reason. No, yeah, I mean you're right. The, the imagery of them of them like craw- crawling up on the arms uh, master is, is a bit and like, on the nose. Yeah. And like like and we see her surround herself with bugs constantly. And now she surrounds herself with people. They they like surround her so thickly that people can't get through them anymore. It's just like so clearly supposed to be insect bug imagery, like. It's amazing. But there was that there was that great comment from last week that, that we pulled out about how when she's when she's hidden in her swarm, she feels safe and secure, but she's really just surrounded in, in herself. Her swarm is just an extension of herself. But yeah, that's the, true. these are all these are all individuals. These are all people. And, and they all. And, and I mean, I'm going to I guess I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but, but it says, you know, these are all people with their own stories, their, their own reason for siding with her, their own their own personal tragedies. And she's she's not controlling them. They're deciding of their own free will that, that they want to support her. And that's, yeah. that's why this gets me right in the, in the solar plexus. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so, and I like this moment here where she, that she's telling them to, to go tackle arms master. And she says, he might not be a good guy. I murmured, but he's a hero. Trust in that. And then she thinks to herself, or is it the other way around? That apology sat oddly with me. Yeah, and for those of you not fluent in the language, sat oddly with me is Taylor speak for it worked on me, and I have now had a fundamental shift in how I think of someone, and I don't know what to do with that information. <laughs> yeah, this is an unusual sensation. I feel like I'm forgiving someone. <laughs> I don't. What do I do? Yeah. How do I feel? How do I make this stop? Yeah. I guess I should attack him. <laughs> so Taylor realizes that each yeah yeah so we already we already hit that beat um yeah so there's uh there's just a tiny little minor thing here where she sees dragon like explode all these extra parts of her rocket pack out of her body um and and she thinks like either it was still crammed either either it was all crammed into her torso which was impossible or defiant had tweaked it um and it's like we know like (laughs) it's actually probably both um (laughs) So uh, Taylor overhears part of the exchange between Defiant and Dragon here. Dragon appears to be planning to do something that Defiant isn't happy about. And then right after this exchange, Dragon lands hard and she doesn't move for a long time. And her hand is tremoring when she finally does. Matt, did, did Dragon just disobey an order? Did, did that happen? I, I don't know. I think, Looks I, think like that's it. What, I think that's what happened. I don't know whether to be happy or terrified of that, but... <laughs> Um, I, I will say that that final shot of Defiant, like resting his chin on, on the, on the top of Dragon's head is this moment of like real genuine affection between these two characters. And I just, I just love it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it so much. We, we've definitely come to enjoy their, their nerdy little AI, uh, nerd romance. Robot love is the most realistic love in Worm. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, she's she's the perfect perfect person, right? <laughs> I mean, at least so far, their relationship is the one that seems to be the most successful yeah. in the story, at least of the ones we're directly presented with. I know people have families and relationships kind of off screen that we don't focus on. but Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so so yeah, they leave the school. Once Taylor is is far far enough from the school, she tells her cohort to stop, and she doesn't know what to say to them. And it turns out she doesn't need to say anything because they tell her why in a chorus of mixed stories, all all of them different. Um, so good. And, and as, as they're telling her, they're they're telling her fragments of their stories, and I think it's very interesting from a writing perspective that we don't get an internal reaction from Taylor. She doesn't think, you know, finally some gratitude. If only for a moment I allowed myself to feel like I had done the right thing. It, it just, it overwhelms her and, and it overwhelms us. Yeah, it, it's, I, I can't even fully explain like how wonderful it is. And, and to all you why uh, butters out there, I kind of understand you a little bit when I read moments like this because, you know, Taylor has done so much good and, and here it is in front of us. We, we can't deny it and you and I won't. Um, I'll say again, though, that I don't think pointing out Taylor's sins really takes away from her successes, really takes away from that here's a group of people that she she saved, she changed their lives, she helped them. And But I think we do need to remember that she does have both. She has successes and she has sins, and, and who she will end up being when she gets out of this chrysalis um, will depend on how she weighs one against the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. well said. So she she approaches her own neighborhood and uh, she nears her house, although her range is, is greatly extended. She doesn't understand why. She uses a butterfly to scout her house and she finds it full of PRT officers. The butterfly lands on her dad and makes its way to her finger. Taylor, he said, six and a half city blocks away. I replied, I'm sorry. The butterfly and I took off at the same time. And I'm crying. Yep. Uh, this chapter's got... So, okay. We've got betrayal by the girl she sacrificed everything for. We've got somewhat seemingly final resolution of the Emma dramatic irony plotline. We've got Taylor's identity finally blown after arcs and arcs of tension about it. We've got Taylor finally getting some credit for her heroic deeds. Dragon does something significant, which allows her to finally disobey orders, but seems to have some cost. Defiant apologizes, showing personal growth. Clockblocker gets it just a little bit more. And even as Taylor loses her, her identity and transforms into Skitter right in front of their eyes, it, it's, it's the, the butterfly. The butterfly's got... Uh, <laughs> Matt? Matt? Ladies and gentlemen, I, th- I think Matt has had a joy-related stroke. And it's okay. Uh, he's fine. We will have uh, healing capes here uh, soon. But yes, this chapter. This chapter has everything. And I, th- I think this goes back to the conversation we had at the beginning about, is this the end of a story? Is this the beginning of a story? And there's a lot of culmination here. You, you just read it all. But it's culmination of stuff, of story long stuff, of of things that have been part of Taylor this entire time and we're tying off this old conflict and we're we're starting a new beginning um we're, we're leaving Taylor and and Taylor's problems behind and we're changing into something new the, the, this is chrysalis we're we're 
you know, metamorphosizing the, I don't know, I couldn't say that, into something new. And and this this at the end of this is the end of Taylor, and it's the start of a new beginning. And I think that just works so much better as the first chapter of a book than it does the last chapter of one. Yes, I'm, I'm back. I'm, uh, I've recovered. Um, I, I, I agree. Yeah, we'll be able to finish. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, um, I've, I, I don't know. I feel like I could talk about this chapter all day. And I think we actually did talk about this I chapter all did. day. So. I think we did. Yeah. yeah, I think we literally were talking <laughs> about it online all day. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that, that's great. Um, but we're going to we're going to move on now to uh, 20.x. Stan, the man in the van with the plan. Uh, this is well done. <laughs> this is this is a reporter named Stan, and uh, he is arriving at the school in the aftermath of Taylor's outing as a supervillain. We briefly get to know his news crew as they drag the equipment out of the van. Um, I, I like the little moment where he spares a thought for poor uh, M- is the guy from Channel Four, who Purity basically fed to Night and Fog. Yeah, totally remember that being a thing that happened. I, I totally <laughs> forgot about that. I'm sorry. You, uh, you're you not going to be popular with the uh, Brockton Bay News crews, Scott. Apparently not. Yeah. So they talked to Principal Howell briefly, and he tries to trade kind of future discretion against current access, asking for permission to come into the school and talk to students. Uh, and he later explicitly thinks about this as an attempt at Guanxi. Um, so even this one like one-off non-cape character has a well-fleshed-out life philosophy. Yeah, like we might never see this guy again. <laughs> like, I, I, he might come back, he might not. But Wild Bill still takes the time to clearly define who this guy is and and his life philosophy and how he makes decisions to do the things he does. Yeah, and it's like even these bit characters get characterization. Yeah. Yeah, is it clearly characterized like like kind of careerist, very you know, competent reporter. Um, yeah, yeah. But of course, Howell refuses, so they just snoop around outside the school, and they try to find some students there. So he ends up getting the story from some kids, plus cell phone footage from which uh, which he buys for um, twenty bucks. And then we learn that the video has just enough juicy details to make the situation an absolute PR disaster for the protectorate. Hooray! And, and then Sans people find Greg who despondently gives them an interview also. Still got to be the center of attention, don't you, Greggy boy? Yep. We love that guy. And then we cut to Sophia in prison, watching this all on TV, and she just can't handle it. The frustration boils over until she smashes the TV and is tackled by guards, leading to a genuine top five favorite line of the story. She screams something so incoherent that even she would have been hard-pressed to interpret it. Yeah, I have nothing to add here other than that's a really great moment. And now we've seen both Sophia and Emma destroyed by this Taylor revelation yep. that, that seemingly goes against their entire life philosophy. Yep. Then we cut to Danny, who's not taking this well. Um, he's wondering if this is his fault. His friends try to be supportive, but they don't really have much to offer uh, because in, in his mind, Taylor has already said goodbye. And he's kind of right. <laughs> um I wonder if this is the last time we'll see Danny. Is this is this where the story's going to leave him defeated and and feeling guilty? And I wanted to talk to you, Matt, about we we kind of hinted toward this at the beginning of the the podcast. But how 
how culpable is Danny? I mean, we, we I think his guilt is definitely misplaced, but you know, we did have a moment in the story and, and we kind of teased at it as it was a terrible way of doing it, but where Taylor is, is basically begging Danny to parent her, like, tell me what to do and I will do it. You know, tell me what I can and can't do and I will listen to you. And Danny won't or, or can't do it. Not that it would have stopped her from becoming the person that she is. Not that it would have stopped her from being Skitter. But, you know, Wild Bo asked us that question all those months ago about is Danny a good parent or not? And I just wanted to, to re- revisit that. Yeah, I, I guess I'm going to kind of just say that I've become more, I think, sympathetic toward Danny over time because... Like he had this this horrible tragedy happen to him. Like no no one should ever have to deal with losing their spouse, and and he reacted, you know, like like realistically. Like he you 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 can't really judge people for like oh you didn't you didn't handle the loss of your spouse with a whole lot of grace. It's like oh you know shut up you know like like that just it's it's a it's a horrible thing. Just give the guy some yeah. give the guy some. uh some leeway and 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 yes the fact that he that he may, maybe withdrew too much into himself and maybe did maybe did uh, unavoidably hold taylor responsible we don't really know if that's true or not um maybe that did leave taylor the isolation that led to her becoming a supervillain but like you can't expect the guy to deal with the one two punch of losing his spouse and then having his daughter become a secret supervillain and and hiding that from him and him having no way of like it's it's not like she's it's not like she's doing heroin or something that like yeah he could figure out if he was attentive you know it's like it's a it's a really re- rare and weird thing that has happened to her so um I don't know I'm just I'm fairly fairly forgiving toward Danny just because it's like well how else could he have like what could he have really done better I I I don't know I, I don't know if you can expect him to do much better than he did um without you know basically him being like a superhero. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I was, I was kind of playing devil's advocate there for a sec, but I mean, I, I think this once again shows us another example in which, uh, normal society, like conventions and civilization rules kind of break down in the existence of superpowers that like there, there is, there is no correct answer for how to parent a superhero. Um, especially if you are not one yourself. So like, I think you got to give, you got to give Danny a little bit of a handicap in this whole thing. And there are moments where he's trying the best he could. And you know, you can't plan for any of this, like the, the amount of trauma your kid goes through. And we saw this, I think we see this with Emma's parents too, right? That like, they want her to get better. And they say like, they're kind of trying to move past her trauma in a way that's like, get better, Emma. Um, it's been a week, get better. And, and it's not, they're not being mean to her. They're not being dismissive of her. They just don't know what to do. They don't know how to help her. And I think that's the same with Danny and Taylor, that he doesn't know the right thing to do. And it seems like to him, every time he's tried to do a something, it has backfired in such an incredible way. The last time he ordered his daughter around, she left and he didn't see her for like a month. Yeah. Uh, so like the idea of even even as she's saying, no, you can tell me what to do. I might fight with you. I might push back against you, but I'm really going to do it. Um, 
he, I don't think he can let himself believe that because the, the, the risk there is losing her again, this time possibly forever. Yeah. And I think you're, you're exactly right. That's, that's why he won't just be like, okay, then go to school because, yeah. because now he's put himself in an antagonistic role to her and fully expects that she will just, you know, she, she might listen for a few days, but, uh, right. I, don't, I don't think he believes that it's going to hold up. Yeah. 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 I I think uh, Danny's not in a good spot right now. No. So then we cut to the PRT conference room. Uh, Defiant is somewhat smugly telling the higher ups that he told them so. And uh, Dragon is present also, but she's mute and she's not really like acting correctly. Hmm. Um, so Pigo is our actual POV for this scene here. Um, and she also seems pretty frustrated with how things have gone. Director Tag is now the one who's in charge in Brockton Bay, and he seems a tad less circumspect uh, than even Pigo was. Uh, I don't think we've met Tag yet, have we? Uh, not to my knowledge. No. Well, no, I think in the Leviathan chapter, I don't know if we named him. We just said, because we were Taylor's point of view and didn't know him, but there was some anonymous director, or not the Leviathan, sorry, the, the Echidna chapter when she goes to PRT headquarters. Okay. Um, I think... I, I don't know if we know him for sure, but I think we've seen him before. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually not even sure if that is or is not him, but it probably is. I don't know. Yeah. It probably was. Um, yeah. So Defiant insists that the PRT needs to clean house. Hey, Matt, since when has Defiant become this awesome guy who is like totally right all the time and who I like? Since he started hanging out with Dragon, I guess. Yeah. Apparently you lose one arm and you gain one heart. Oh. <laughs> i love this beat um that ship is long sailed keen commented with the revelations about chief director costa brown if you'll pardon my saying you're pardoned the chief director's voice sounded over the speaker crystal clear um <laughs> that's the first we learned she's on the call right yeah. like we didn't even know up until that well, point not only that but the last we saw of alexandria was her saying i will tender my resignation as director of the prt as soon as i get back to my desk and then uh, here yeah. she is, still yeah. chief director. So. Alexandria, you a liar. Yeah. Not going to let go of that power so easily. Well, they've managed, at least thus far, to keep that revelation away from the general public, right? That Costa Brown and Alexandria are the same person? I think so. Yeah. Uh, maybe. I believe they have. Yeah, I'm not sure, actually. But you're probably right. Yeah, so Alexandria points out that they don't actually need Dragon as much as would be assumed. They've contracted with the Dragon Slayers and their boss, Saint, which uh, 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 Defiant is unhappy with. So they More compromise. People. Yeah. I'm sure these are going to be antagonists. Yeah, right. These are some trustworthy folks that we're bringing in. So they, they compromise. They'll have Dragon and Defiant's assistance through the next Endbringer fight, and then they'll clean house. Yeah, and this agreement smells a lot like Taylor's. I'll go back to school next year uh -huh. agreement, a temporary stopgap stop gap where people agree to like a nebulous future terms that may or may not honestly uh, think they're ever going to abide by anyway. Yeah, I think you're right. That's, yeah. So we cut to Jack, uh, Yay. which is, yeah, we're back, back in Jack's head. That's nice. Um, enjoying the hell out of the broadcast that he's hearing. Bonesaw is working with her stasis machinery and she puts Hookwolf in stasis and he doesn't really quite seem to be himself. Let that be a lesson to you, Hookwolf, and all you listeners out there. 
joining a team of crazy psychopaths with the propensity to kill their members and make evil replicas out of them is never a good decision. Yeah. It takes a long time to learn that lesson. Apparently. So as Jack strips and prepares to interstasis, he glimpses the rest of the room, row after row of cases labeled with the names of the nine, including past dead ones, Siberian, Chuckles. He glanced at the one isolated case, felt his pulse quicken a notch. It was the only one that was standalone. Gray boy. Who is this kid? (laughs) (laughs) And like, the funny thing is I know I'm supposed to be scared of gray boy. Like it's the scene is very much constructed to emphasize how big of a deal that is. But I can't stop thinking about these dozen Siberian clones that are just hanging out in in pods. Holy shit. Right. I mean, that's what's funny is he, he glances over the dozen Siberian pods, but his pulse quickens when he sees the one gray boy pod. Right. I mean, we're really trying to like, this is, this is a whole nother level. This is S class threat worthy. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. That was, that, that was, I, I like that. I like that interlude. I like switching between a bunch of characters and, and framing this, the, yeah. the, the reactions around the, the, the that news report. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, was, that was a cool device. So then we go into 20.Y, another great interlude, with our, our good friend Accord. So Accord enters the Forsberg Gallery to attend an important meeting with the Undersiders. Uh, side note, in this arc, we've revisited a few old locales. We've seen Arcadia High and the Gallery, and both are pretty much in opposite conditions relative to how we last saw them. Hey, Matt, that's like a really clever observation. I legitimately did not notice that up until you said it. It's like you do this for like a living or something. Well, I wish. Um, Patreon.com. Patreon.com. Okay, let's move on. According, (laughs) so Accord is is irritated by the architectural disarray of the place and almost overwhelmed by the scattered destruction caused by Shatterbird. And now we see how Accord sees the world. His power is a constant source of intrusive thoughts. It provides solutions to everything that irks him and pretty much everything irks him. And, and these are full solutions. These are these are conceptions of how it will look when it's done, how it works, full planning and implementation details down to the number of pages that the plan will take up. Yeah, I was pretty generally like weirded out by Accord when we first met him up until the point that like I think I said I didn't like it very much. Um, it, it felt like almost too comic booky, like too unbelievable, like really bond villainy to like a, a an unbelievable degree and, and and it turns out that he very much is that but it is in this amazing and believable way and we will touch on that when we get to it yeah so he he's really on edge and he asks his subordinates to distract him um citrine fails to call him sir which certainly doesn't help his mood and i think this is where we finally really understand uh, his reaction to send answers intrusion back in migration, things being out of order are, are overwhelming to him. And he's somebody with the power and the compulsion to fix them. Yeah. And I think that's what I was missing in my interpretation of this in arc 17 was the, the full understanding of the, the, the compulsion. I sold this guy and wild Bo by extension, a little short, um, of course, it's not just a random guy acting crazy like this. His power, <laughs> his passenger, uh, compels him to act this way. And that, I think, is a lot more believable and a lot and, and, and goes really far to make his crazy off the cuff reactions seem understandable, believable and and like they fit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, it turns him from a character that you're kind of like, eh, I don't know, 
to a really interesting character. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Very quickly too. Like it didn't this we're we're a quarter of the way through the arc. Yeah. And I'm already like, okay, I'm in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So for this, you know, <laughs> inconsequential bit of lapse of etiquette, Accord imagines killing Citrine uh a number of different ways. And ultimately he does calm himself down, but it takes a lot of effort. Ah, uh, the age old question of why the hell do you work for the crazy guy that could kill you at a moment's notice? <laughs> I don't know, Scott. I guess we'll we'll see. Um, <laughs> so we get into a bit of his actual backstory. So apparently he solved world hunger one afternoon, and then he handed over the plan to his boss at his at, at the economic oversight department of the PRT, and the guy just ignored it. So he turned against the PRT, and then he was caught, but but he escaped. So what's amazing is that Accord still seems to be pursuing this plan. <laughs> this terrifying, screwed up villain is still working towards solving world hunger. Yeah, because it's a problem. You gotta solve it. Yeah, it and irks it, him. It's God. It's so Bond villainy, isn't it? Like, yeah. I love this guy so much. He's evil. He's bad, but he's trying to save the world, and it's the world that refuses to get saved. Yeah. It's the world that refu- that is is against him. Yeah, and I think that kind of ties back into that status quo question we discussed on the mailbag last week. Uh, the the PRT as an organization is is like uninterested in large changes of the status quo. They they want it to remain that way. So of course a guy comes with an actual solution to actually change things. And like, no, can't do that. Yeah. Right. It'd be ridiculous. Yeah. And I mean plus the person would probably just be like it's it's completely out of their depth to to pers- yeah. to to concede to understand even a plan that complex. Yeah. So yeah at the, at the top floor the ambassadors encounter the teeth. So there are seven pair of humans dressed in spikes and other superficially scary trappings, which I think is interestingly contrasted to the undersiders who are surrounded by swarms of insects and giant monster dogs and giant cloth spiders and scorpion. Matt Parian went goth <laughs> and it's awesome. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I want, Oh yes. I want fan art of this, this right now, oh, this whole meeting. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. Yes. Somebody do that. Yes. Thank you. I finally remembered in the right moment. So we we finally see Skitter again after taking a, a little interlude break away from her. And now she is just full on Skitter mode. She's being terrifying and imposing and really like harsh and uncompromising rel- relative to how we've seen her before. Yeah. And this is kind of my worst fear realized from that last chapter, Matt, that, that there's a moment earlier in 20.5 where, where where taylor is gone and and skitter contemplates how she never liked that name that that personality moments where i thought hey maybe taylor will just abandon skitter entirely maybe that chrysalis will open and and something new will come out and of course the other side of that coin was always um maybe she will just instead double down on that skitter persona that that with nothing left but skitter i have to be this person and not only am i going to be that person but i'm going to be that person more um and this moment seems to confirm this at least at least for now and i'm pretty pretty bummed about it yeah yeah so the fallen now show up and here we just have valifor and uh eligos i believe and immediately valifor like challenges skitter um and butcher from the teeth seems to share these doubts about following quote the school girl 
yeah, and I think maybe is this the reason why about what I was talking about? Like, because to Taylor, Skitter was always that escape, right? Where she could she could hide away from that pathetic, weak girl that she thought Taylor was at the time. And now that girl has kind of been exposed to the world. So she's got something to prove. She's got to prove that she's not Taylor anymore, prove that she is Skitter. And that's why we're seeing her a little more gruff and confrontational than than even usual yeah i mean if you wanted to like surgically push skitter into becoming worse then you might do something like this yep so yeah if, if everyone uh so, so so this is an example of um how she's behaving if everyone agreed to suspend the usual rules i would be more than happy to go ahead and uh, to go head to head with your group skitter replied of course you would you outnumber us just me skitter answered them um <laughs> And and so since we're in Accord's head, for some reason it really makes me like him that he like kind of steps back, notices that Skitter already has Valfour trapped with Silk, and tells him that it's already over. Um, and I love that he's like just enjoying unraveling the mystery of what measures Skitter's put in place to ensure her victory over everyone present. Like it's it's like a fun puzzle by by a fellow traveler. Yeah, game recognized game, man. <laughs> the the funny part about this to me though is that like. He's yelling at himself about it, too. He's like, oh, I wonder how she... No, I can't be distracted. <laughs> and then, like, 10 seconds later, it's like, oh, the table. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah. it's so great. Yeah, right. So, at this point, Skitter is willing to discuss murder openly, and she's, like, against it, but acknowledges that sometimes it's just necessary, which I guess is fair, because she did that. <laughs> um, the, the deal she offers the other three cape teams is still pretty pretty harsh and restrictive there's unfavorable territorial and financial restrictions there's restrictions on the type of criminal activities they can be involved in and there's an obligation to send a number of their members to any future inbringer fights um so the fallen like immediately just leave because it's obvious that skitter doesn't even like expect them to even seemingly want to say yes and the teeth also say no but accord says yes eventually yeah i mean the fallen worship the inbringers right so I mean, putting that clause in the agreement is like literally, we don't want you to accept. Right. Yeah. Like, just get yeah. out of here. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I suppose we're like supposed to give Taylor points here for being against murder generally, um, even though it's okay as long as she approves. It's like, and that goes back to something we've been talking about from the beginning, that that anything is justifiable as long as she's the one making the justification. Yeah, well, you and, you trust Taylor's moral compass, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's great. It's really great. <laughs> yeah. So they they talk about the necessity to defeat Butcher, or more properly, Butcher 14. Yeah, and I think this is a whole new variation on powers uh, from what we've seen before, right? I don't think we've seen something quite like this. Like his, like his passenger is bouncing from person to person and, and taking latent powers with it that's very interesting it seems very powerful too um i'm, I'm gonna go ahead and guess that we're not done with this guy girl mm -hmm. thing yeah it yeah i think i think it is a new thing i don't think we've seen something quite like this before um yeah so i wonder what it says that accord grows to like and respect skitter over the course of the meeting and then kind of toward the ending says you and i are very similar people yeah well considering his only friend was coil uh it doesn't say a lot of good things um i i love the silence after he says that though yeah you, you like you know on some level it bothered taylor to be compared to him like you know in her head right now that probably bugged her yeah but on some level 
I bet she kind of liked it too, because I think it's a clue that she's winning, that she's won the argument, that 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 he sees her as Skitter, not that schoolgirl that was on the news. And I I, I think it's a really cool moment. I, I love these moments where we're not in Taylor's head, but when we're looking at Taylor, because we know her so well that we can kind of predict what she's thinking. Yeah, we can even predict the things that she's thinking, but not acknowledging that she's thinking. Right. <laughs> so after the meeting, the ambassadors go off and discuss strategy. And interestingly, they all seem to agree that they could handle each of the other groups individually, but not together, which implies, <laughs> I guess, that Citrine and Othello are pretty strong. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, and I think this this serves to kind of uh, complete that beat that I discussed at the very beginning, that, that the undersiders, that Taylor's grip on power in this city is so tenuous. They've got three groups of enemies now, two of them openly, and one uh, with, with a cord a little, a little more subtly. It makes you think, like, if if this is all Taylor has left now, what happens if she loses it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's th- This is one of those things that makes this a, a setup arc, I think, because we're putting pieces in play clearly for, right. for future moves. Yeah. So, so after the meeting with his subordinates, he summons five of his best mundane employees to his chambers. Uh, they've all been vetted uh, according to some procedure. And he tells them that they'll now be his ambassadors and he dismisses them. And then he calls a number, a long distance number, which causes a cauldron uh, gateway to be opened near him. The number man greets him. Accord orders five high quality vials. Um, and there's a small beat here. Accord thought of Coil as a friend, like he said. Um, and now, now that Coil's dead, the plan hinges on the undersiders and the, the arc ends in the end, they were responsible for billions. So I guess we're just going to say that Coyle's like doing all this terrible stuff because they're trying to save the world, which is, of course, because we're doing ends justify the means. Yeah, that's um, that's why Coyle needed to torture people in his private timeline. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, like, <laughs> is everybody working for Cauldron? Like, is there is there... Is there is there anyone not like I want everyone to raise their hands and tell me who is not working for Cal- Oh right, this is audio. That won't uh that won't work. I think maybe Skitter well no, she is, she doesn't realize it, I guess. That's <laughs> yeah. yeah, like I and I really enjoy this ending. I think we we establish Cauldron as the next big bad, but we're also starting to lay those seeds of things are not what they appear. You know, we've seen it in Alexandria. She's hinted towards it. You guys don't understand. Um, but we get it here again. And, and then we have a cord like fit neatly into the spot that Coyle occupied before. It's almost as if Coyle's been replaced. Uh, the difference is that before the Undersiders had nothing to lose. They were trying to fight Coyle, but they didn't have the city now. They literally have everything to lose. And there's the big boss of the city and it's working for Cauldron and we're twisting everything and reinventing it and and hitting those familiar beats but in new interesting ways coming full circle again yeah that's the last time i'm gonna say full circle yeah for a while i mean it's the end of the uh it's the end of the arc so i guess i guess that makes sense but it's <laughs> god this is a fantastic arc what a arc it, it's like i really enjoyed 18 and 19 i really did and and even 17 but it's like you don't even realize like how higher the bar can go like you're, you're comparing them against each other and then you get this arc which is just like a step above all of that and it's like like comparatively it's like that stuff was crap <laughs> I, I don't actually mean that but i mean this this is so good 
Yeah. This is so good. Well, it, it really elevates your appreciation for Wildo, I think, because you you now realize that all of this stuff that was sprinkled throughout the story was indeed intentionally placed setup. It wasn't just like, you know, yeah. s- set dressing. It was set up for, for this enormously impactful moment. And this is the kind of thing I don't normally include on the podcast. And I may even be wrong here, but I believe that Wildbo said at some point that he didn't know how he was going to get Taylor out of the cafeteria. Oh, really? When he started writing that. Like, so, so that wasn't even like a planned detail. That was that thing that I was saying, like guts me every time I read it was something that he, he worked himself into a a corner intentionally because that's how he writes. And then he had to figure out a way out. And, and so did Taylor. And, uh, I think that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Yeah. All right. Well, there's so, so I figured we could expand the name game a bit here because we, we met a bunch of, of capes. Um, in fact, I didn't even list all of them, uh, all, all the capes we met. You don't have to do all of them just yeah. yet. Yeah. But uh, there was there was citrine, which on the one hand is a glassy yellow quartz, um, but, but also like that stone I read from various um, questionable looking sites about new agey stuff is like the prosperity <laughs> stone or the success stone. So I, I bet it has something to do with that too. Uh, yeah, I think so. And also, I think like she's she's yellow, like her theme is yellow, so that makes sense. Um, Othello, he's he's the, of course the tragic Shakespeare play slash character of the same name, um, but it's also a game with black and white tokens played on a grid. Um, I don't know if you caught the detail of kind of like what his power seems to be, um, but it's sort of synergistic with that. Huh. I don't think I have. No. He he, Must have missed that. he mentioned having an other self. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so he's like a black and white yeah. self. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Sear is, just means dry or withered, usually applied to vegetation, which is straightforwardly what his power mm-hmm. is. It's accurate, yeah. Yep. And adamant is... Uh, so I like this one because I almost didn't include adamant because I was like, well, it's just it's just like the, 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 the metal, like the, the, the imaginary super strong metal and he does metal and that's, yeah. that's easy. Adamantium, man. Yeah. It's Wolverine. But it's also, of course... To be adamant is to just to refuse to be persuaded or, or to be steadfast, right? So it's it's another yeah. yet another double meaning. Uh, yeah, uh, hero, that's really he, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then and then we, I just wanted to circle back and get this one because someone pointed this out to me quite a while ago, and, and we never put it on the show. But dragon is of course a dragon, uh, but is also a fierce and intimidating person, especially a woman. I did not know that. That's really interesting. Yeah, somebody pointed that out when we were going down all of the dragon suit names, and they were like, "Hey, you, <laughs> you missed like the coolest one, which is Dragon's own name for herself." That's so weird. I, I wonder where that. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. I need to look up that word origin and see how that happened. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I wonder. All right, Scott. That's that's the name game. Um, I'm eager to hear your speculations this week. All right. First, let's get rid of some of those old ones, and by old ones, I mean they were ones that I made. Uh, in the last arc. Yep. So I said that Taylor is going to go back to school and Matt, I'm going to mark this as wrong um, because I'm not going to give myself credit here because I specifically said that Taylor was going to return and attend school and probably was going to do it because her father asked her to. And those things did not happen. I don't think I get credit for Taylor being physically inside the school I don't think that's really what I meant when I made that prediction. So I am not giving myself credit. I, I think that's, I think that's fair, actually. 
Okay. Uh, the other one, I was wrong again. Uh, I said that Emma will pull a Greg, fucking Greg, and piece together that Skitter is Taylor and reveal this information to the world. Now, I got some of the details of this right. Uh, Emma did find out that Taylor was Skitter uh, in the very next arc, uh, but she did not discover it in the way Greg did it, and she was not the one that revealed it. She was just there when it happened. So, again, not the intent of what I was trying to say with that speculation. Yeah. And um, I think I think we're all happy with how things actually turned out. So Oh, yeah. It's way better than I could have anticipated. Way better. Um, as for new ones, though, uh, my first one is... So we have this, this moment where Taylor has a 96.8% chance of being captured and then somehow slides into... Or 96.8, whatever. Uh, somehow slides into that 3% or so magically. And at first I was like man, that's a little ridiculous story. Like, that's pretty amazing odds that she found herself in. But now, now I think that I'm not, I'm not with Taylor here that Dinah betrayed her. I think Dinah's got something up her sleeve. She's planning something. The whole apology was seemingly meant to get those two people to see eye to eye on something. So I think Taylor walking out of that cafeteria in the way that she did was part of what Dinah wanted to happen or what Dinah saw was going to happen. And the reason why they had to go then and there right now is for things to be orchestrated in that particular way. I don't know how that ties into what she's trying to do. And I have no way of speculating. Like I have no idea what Dinah's playing at other than uh, Taylor's going to be there at the end of the world. And maybe she's trying to position things to get her in a place to do the most good in that end of world situation. I don't know, but that's just what I think. I think it, I'm mostly speculating this because it solves the problem of me saying getting out with that lower percentage is unrealistic and and bordering on plot armor for me. But so that's that's that one. Okay. And then uh, this is an old one that I'm bringing back now, Matt, because we marked it wrong, but I'm bringing it back after people swarm. Um, I said a long, long time ago that I think that I thought that Taylor would... Uh, eventually learn to control people or rather capes through the parasite that I thought the passenger at the time was. Um, I marked that wrong when we found out that it really wasn't a, a parasite. Although the more we learn about it, the more it kind of seems like a parasite. Um, anyway, my point is that I'm putting, I'm taking away my frowny face away from that one and I'm putting it back on the map because I have now reconvinced myself that that is definitely going to happen. Cool. Awesome. Always so love That's what I got for this week. Always love those speculations. I always love your terse silence during <laughs> them. My my yep. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, that will wrap up our coverage of Arc 20 Chrysalis. I hope everyone enjoyed our discussion and hearing Scott's reactions. As always, we appreciate your feedback and we're always trying to improve. So let us know if you have any advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's episode. Yeah, you can reach us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at gotwormpod. Um, once again, I, I have to, to reiterate that uh, either the ARC21 read, read-through ha on Twitter has already happened by the time you're listening to this, if I decide to do it uh, in the next couple of days, or it's just not happening this week because we're recording these things very early. Every Our schedule's weird, so sorry, um, but that either already happened yay or sorry it's not happening at all um, 
My personal Twitter is at ScottDaily85, and Matt's is at Mabadabit. <laughs> if you're not already subscribed to We've Got Worm, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world that you can listen to podcasts. I think I, it's more Dinamail is his his Twitter. It's more Dinamail. That's right. It's more Dinamail. Like, I want people to find you on Twitter. <laughs> it's in the show notes. It's just really I'm, hard to spell, I'm actually getting, so I never spell it. I'm actually getting more and more followers, so despite your best efforts, it's uh, it's working. Crisis. Okay. Um, yeah, you can find this, all the other podcasts we do, and all of our writing, essays, film, and TV criticism, and more at dailyplanetfilms.com. This week, as in the week you are listening to this, uh, we will have our fall movie preview episode over on the main Daily Planet feed, which has Scott and Michael and maybe Matt. I don't know because we haven't recorded it yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> go through all of our big movies of the fall. Uh, we'll tell you uh, what you need to see and uh, which are Justice League. Um, <laughs> also, so-called writers uh, will continue this week with another three letter, another three words and another handful of short stories. Um, the second episode of that just came out today as we record this and I am absolutely loving it. Uh, I hope you guys are too, Matt. It's awesome. Well, thanks. You're doing, you're doing great work. Yeah. Well, it's, it's really fun. I'm, I'm really happy with how it's going. Thanks for the compliment. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if, if you like, uh, any of these shows and you want to support them, we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash daily planet films. If you like what we do here and you want to help make sure we keep doing more, consider donating a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Special thanks this week to Captain Planet John C., who pledged at the $10 level, and Cape Morning, who pledged $45 and is now also literally Superman. Scott, how can we have two Supermen? I, 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 don't, I don't know, Matt. I, to be honest, I didn't really plan for this contingency. <laughs> I feel like fight to the death, maybe? Or I guess we could yeah. just let both of them continue to support us. I guess. I guess. Thanks, Kate Morning. That's yeah. amazing. Thank you so much. This was actually, they uh, were a, a lower tier donor and, and upped it awesome. uh, today, I think, as we record this. So that's incredible. I wake up in the morning to these emails and I'm like, <gasps> yeah, thank you so much. I know. It, it's amazing. And I think there were like four Supermen running around at the same time at one point. So it's not, yeah, I not, think that's true. not that big of a deal. DC goes crazy with the continuity. Yeah. yeah. Also, speaking of Patreon, make sure you stop by Wildbo's page and toss some money there because he's the guy who makes this whole thing possible. Yeah, and if you can't spare any extra cash, as always, we do completely understand. Uh, what you can do is head on over to iTunes and give us a rating and a review. It helps other people find our podcast, which means it helps people find Worm, which means it helps Wildbo, which means by reviewing us on iTunes, you're basically saving the world. Yeah. Basically. I think that's how that uh, works. This is this is especially important this week, Matt, because as of right now, as we record this, I don't have any new reviews to read. None. <gasps> I, yeah. I don't even have like a one star, like a bad <laughs> review to read. There's nothing. So please, guys, re review us. I want to be able to read your nice words. It makes me feel good. Yeah. And it'll make you feel good, too, to have your words read. Yes. That's how that works. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for us this week. Next week, we're covering ARC-21 Imago. Uh, I think that's how you say that word. Friendly, Let's say yes. Yeah. Friendly reminder that Scott is going to be out of town next week. So this episode was pre-recorded, and we won't be able to address or comment on any of your great questions and comments, um, but we'll still be reading the Reddit. So, you know, make sure you start those great discussions. But for now, Scott, what is ARC-21 going to be about? 
well, Matt, last week I joked about having to look up what a chrysalis was, uh, but this week I legitimately had to look up what a nemago yeah, was. Me too. Um, <laughs> this is another one of, of Wildbow's clever both definitions of the word work here plays, I think, because an imago is a, a fully developed adult insect as well as an unconscious, idolized mental image of someone, especially a parent, that influences someone's behavior. So my guess is here, Taylor is... Once again, that kind of a crossroads, she's lost her identity, uh, she's entered her chrysalis, and she's she's well on her way to becoming that adult, fully formed insect, that imago. Um, what that imago will look like will depend on an imago? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we're going to see Taylor uh, make a big choice next week, a choice that will possibly be motivated by her mother, her father, or, or both. And I really hope that she makes the right one. Well, we will find out next week on another exciting episode of We've Got Worm.